sunny but underneath the surface lies a dark world behind your safe little havens that y'all call home beneath the surface there's an evil that festers and grows where the american dream goes dark this is the literary license podcast america goes dark episode your book to screen show where we head down a dark alley and discover the books the films and all the darkness in between with your co-host Leandro Gazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago. Things may look perfect on the outside, but what really goes on behind closed doors? podcast and it's book to screen america goes dark we'll be covering the book to screen and today we're covering whatever happened to cousins charlotte by henry farrell and the classic film from 1964 hush hush sweet charlotte and before we get started let's find out who's with us we got leandro with us hello leandro hello everyone how are you craig johnson hello craig hello everybody (laughs) david grunt hello david Hello there. Hello, Keith. Hello, everyone. Hiya. Someone get these two a cup of coffee. Y'all wake <laughs> up over there. <laughs> and of course, we got Vicky Ray with us. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. Hi. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Craig. What have you been up to since last time we've seen you? Um, I've been pretty sick this week, so I haven't been at work. And um, yeah, just, uh, just resting up. What did you catch this time? I had ulcers in my throat and my oh, tongue, no. and it was really painful. Yeah, so I got awful. some steroids from the GP. Yeah, it was really painful. So, who, so who, who, uh, who were you? I mean, not who, but what were you doing to get those? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the nice one. I'm nice. See, now he's doing it to y'all. I know. I. <laughs> and um, 
I took the exhibition down. That's that's come down finally. Yeah. So that that's um down now. Yeah, Lord of the so, Rings. Yeah, yeah, that was a good show. It, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Did they take my picture down from their website now? <laughs> what picture? <laughs> There's a picture of me on the web on their website. Oh, that I mean, one. Okay, I saw that. <laughs> Look at that picture. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Looking that was really funny. good. That was a great show, though. I I watched as much as I could or looked up as much as I could. That was that was a really good exhibit. You should be Love. very proud of yourself, mm. Craig. Craig's mother showed a. Um, one of her art pieces yeah, of art, didn't she? Did, did anyone awesome. else buy anything? Did any of the other ones of you sell anything? No. The catalog sort of no. went quite well, didn't we? Yeah. Give away a few of the catalogs. But mum sold a picture of a tree with, with the sunlight coming through it, it's which was a really cool picture. Yeah, it's a really cool picture. I really like that one photograph so, of the owl in the field. Whoever was in the field, the, the one with the field. That's Craig's. I love that photo. Yeah. I don't know why. It just sings to me for some reason. I love stuff like that. Yeah. It was a good exhibition. I went. I actually left the house and went to it. Yay. Hard to believe you guys dragged him out. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lovely opening night. You know, lots of people there. I've been I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who's, the originals, to brush up on for the Doctor Who podcast on October the 17th for the Daleks. Yes. I remember when PBS used to have that out when I was a little girl. We used to watch it. I, heard, I just oh, always yeah. remember, I heard the music. I always heard the music from the other room. We'd all run into the living room. <laughs> well, I'm caught up to it. I'm, I'm caught up what we're covering. So I watched the four episodes of the Daleks part one. So I caught that up. So. Except I can't remember any of their names, so I'm calling like Doctor Who, Ebenezer Scrooge, who, and I'm Ebenezer calling, no, yeah. <laughs> and I'm calling, and I'm calling his, I'm calling the, his niece, um, Christy Hines on acid. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what about the owl? I'll come up with names owl? for everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> get them straight. Well, I can't. What's her name? Susan? Is her name Susan? Uh, yeah, Susan. That was the, the granddaughter. Yeah, the granddaughter. Yeah, and uh, the I mean, Chrissy Hines we, person. I'm from yeah. the 49th century. I'm from the 49th century. Hello. No, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think William Hartnell was the class of Doctor Who. You know. And then, and then there's Bob and Dicky goes again. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the two school teachers as well. So, a young Patricia <laughs> Hutt, um, Rutledge, and. <laughs> Or boring English teacher guy. Mr. <laughs> Tin uh, and Jacqueline Hill. Right. <laughs> so, but um, so what else have you been up to, Craig? That's, that's it, really. I watched. I watched Coming to America. Hmm. Uh, Eddie Murphy. In the seat. Uh, oh, Eddie Murphy. Really funny. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, Where they're Eddie all outside, there's outside, and he's. On the the uh, fire escape, and he thinks "fuck you" is yeah, a good thing you... to say. And he's going "fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you too." <laughs> that was like the, my favorite part of the whole thing. Brilliant. <laughs> and what about yourself, David? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've just been um, sort of doing me open mic nights, you know, and um, uh, sort of working on a couple of new songs. So I've 
got a reggae version of I'm Not In Love by 10CC, right. which is quite interesting. And, uh, and also Craig's been reintroduced me to Chucky. We've Chucky. Watched, yeah, yeah, we've been we've back, we've been back to back Chuckies. Yeah. Did the start, uh, the series start that. yet? The series two yeah, the started, started this week. The season two week. started this week. It started um on Thursday. Which which is that streaming on? Um uh, a Hulu, maybe? Is it Hulu? Here it's Sky. I'm not here it's sci-fi, but I think it's right, Hulu right. in America. But it hasn't started here. We get it next week. So well, things are getting kind of convoluted with AMC, Hulu, Disney. You know, it's just like, can yeah. I just have one channel? Do I have to subscribe to all of this <laughs> shit to watch one thing? <laughs> you know? Be two so channels far? in England, you know, back, yeah, well, back in the day. Yeah, well, we had like five yeah. channels growing up, and it went off at, at midnight, and that was it. You know, and they did the, the 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 flag songs for Canada and the United States. I was trying to explain yeah, to Asher that yesterday, it's like when we watched something, I literally had to wait the following week or the week, you know, to watch this. I mean, we I was trying to tell him how I got to watch, what was it, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came around once every year or the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. These kids don't understand the struggle, you know? Oh, yay, it's on. I've waited all year. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. So how far did you get up with the child's play? How, what number are you on now? Uh, we're up to Seed of Chucky. Yeah. Oh. So it's getting quite, it's, it's black humor. It's great, you know? I just love it. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. Interesting enough, Seed of Chucky, Glenn and Glenda, are in the new season of Chucky, the TV series. Really? Yeah. The interesting thing about the interesting thing about Child's Play is that Don Maricani, uh, Marinacci, sorry, basically wrote and directed the whole all all the films and the TV series. So it's probably the only horror franchise that's actually been written and directed by the same person all the way through. Okay. Well, he didn't he didn't direct yeah. Seed and he didn't direct um, Bride, but he did write them. So. It was the Child's Play 2 was the only one of her films that she regrets doing, but I think it's the opposite. I think it's such a cult film. Well, yeah. I think it's the coolest thing she's done. Who's yeah. that, Craig? Jenny, Jenny Agatha. She, re she yeah. re regrets being in Child's Play 2 because of, right. I'm assuming it's the connotation between that and the James Bolger killers oh. from the from the nine, 80s oh, or 90s, yeah, whenever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and come to find out that the Bolger kids never actually saw the movie. That was just the son making it up. <laughs> really? Later, yeah. But it created oh, the whole man. video nasty. It started the whole video nasty thing over here. Oh no so, shit! Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. But the but out of the series of films, I th the, I think the only weak one's the third one actually. Child's Play three, the one that basically is the one that <laughs> the Bolgers. I probably would have killed if I saw that on release. <laughs> It's not a very good film. The rest of them are very good. Just that one's kind of the weak one out of the whole series. So yeah. I like the first two the best, I think. Well, we had uh, Dinah Manoff on Manoff on our show. Oh, yeah, that was where for first she was the first person that Chucky killed. Threw yeah. her right out the window. We did. Chucky. Huh? I, I met Chucky for the release of the latest film. Yeah. Um, did. Charles Square. Yes, I, and I got a photo shoot with him with the guys from 
You got to share Do the pictures. I don't think I've it. seen those. Uh, yeah. I'll have to have a look. I'll find it. <clears throat> Brad Dorif. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, and Carl he just looks Jean. like a psycho. I bet you he's a nice man. He just looks like he's off. <laughs> well, but in Carl in Carl to Chucky and the film before that, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But his daughter is the lead character in that film. In those films, no Fiona kidding. Dorif, yeah. So, so what else have you been up to, Craig? Besides, I mean, David. Besides catching up on Child's Play. Yeah, I've just been sort of um, actually relearning the bass. I've got a, uh, an old, an antique now, I guess. Anything over 25 years is an antique. So I'm definitely an antique myself. But, yeah, uh, I guess there's I have a couple of us Fender. here that are antiques. Mm. Yeah. I've got an old Fender fretless. And I've been uh, like kind of re-teaching re myself how to play that because it's a, there's a certain art to playing the fretless bass to a fretted bass because you uh, have to sort of play like an upright bass, you know. So I've been trying to play that and getting into that. It's great fun, you know, and just sorting out my new flats, you know, and uh, yeah, enjoying life at the moment. Sounds <laughs> fun, honey. I'm looking forward to Oh, no way. You did. That is so cool. I love ah. it. Yeah, me and Chuck. What do you mean? Of Go way it? back. Way back. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anybody what, can see what we're talking about, but... <laughs> What about yourself, Leandro? What have you been up to, Leandro? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, been, uh, working, training. I have lost so far like 3.5 kilos since I started training again. Yep. Uh, went to two weeks ago, I went to Arnold Schwarzenegger exposition in Birmingham with no Arnold because for the second year he didn't attend. Uh, people, I heard that. People were really happy that he didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> and I took a picture with one of my favorite bodybuilders that I don't know if you know him. His name is Jay Cutler. All right. Okay. He won uh, four times uh, Mr. Olympia in USA. So when I started to train the gym back in 2004, uh, five. I was training with a friend and he was all the time playing, you know, all the big uh, bodybuilders like this. I didn't know you were training for bodybuilding and all that. I only get to see your face. And now I'm going to have to be a sexually offensive person and give as expect the long view of you every time we do a podcast. <laughs> we need to see the whole body, the biceps, everything. Okay. Well, wait. No, so my, my idea is like uh, maybe in two years' time, compete for the first time. There's something That's I cool. don't want to do. Didn't I don't know that. Yeah, I don't mind about uh, prices. That's very cool. That's just, a big just, commitment, you. Yes. So I have a friend, this friend that used to have the gym in Argentina. He competes. He has been competing. And he always, always offered me to make a plan, you know, to start and everything. And I said, look, I don't want to say yes until I know that I'm like 100% on it. And now, well, another thing that I have been uh, taking lessons uh, driving and yesterday passed the test. So now that now is done, I can concentrate on the next goal, which is maybe in a year or two at least. So you guys got a weird, eat all this weird stuff or you just eat normal? <laughs> well, <them> protein shakes. <laughs> 
Well, you know what I mean? Some people, like, when they bodybuild, you see the typical guys, with, like, drinking rye egg yolks or any of that stuff. Do you just eat normal? Uh, who, me? Yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I'm now, since I have been losing weight, I'm trying to, like, eat, like, as the old days, like, more, like, uh, intermittent fasting and all that stuff no 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 no, not fasting but eating like correct things you know not like bullshit like yeah. food <laughs> like try to cook it myself Andro said a bad word everybody i think that's the first time i've ever heard a curse word out of him Sorry. <laughs> i'm just kidding Leo. oh my god you did not apologize uh, well, <laughs> um what else? Well, I have I, I catch COVID for the first time. Was oh really, no, you did. Yeah, was really really strange. Like last uh, Friday, not yesterday, the day the, the a week ago, uh, I was feeling really bad. Went to work, came home, and I thought to them, not going to the gym. I can't. And you I just tested, don't feel like anything when you get it. You're just tired. I tested that it was positive, but instead of having like two lines, was one on the top really red and the other one was so-so, but it was there. Yeah. So I stayed all Saturday, Sunday, coughing, sneezing in bed, like sweating buckets. And then Monday I was better, but still so-so. Tuesday I was, I was uh, good and then Wednesday I went back to work. So okay. I know it's probably not an issue for y'all, but when I used to do those tests remind me of the early pregnancy tests back in the day <laughs> with the line pregnant, two lines not pregnant. I mean, literally, I get PTSD just from a COVID test now. You know, it's just like, oh, shit, I'm positive. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's weird. It's just weird. Can 90-year-olds have babies fix? I don't know. I think pretty much you can get... Well, I mean, obviously, I can add any part I want these days. If I wanted to. Yeah, precisely. You could still get your way through life. <laughs> yeah, I know, sir. I, I like that, man. Being pregnant sucks. Everybody used to say, oh, my God, you're glowing. No, I'm fucking miserable. You know? <laughs> it's like it's bullshit. <laughs> and what about yourself, Vix? What are you even up to? Uh, well, today we got ashes because he's not feeling good. Mommy has to work and go to school. But what are we watching? We're watching, what is that, Titan Ash? Whatever that anime show is, I thought it was going to be really disturbing. It's actually really good, a little disturbing. It's about giants eat cannibalizing little humans. But, you know, I'm a really bad grandmother, and his mother does not listen to my podcast. But um, what did I do? Well, I watched Hellraiser. Got to talk about Hellraiser. Anybody watch the new Hellraiser? Has it come on here yet? No, like well, you saw me and Joe bantering back and forth about it. But, He's the one with the, the nails in the pinhead. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at first I was good. I was good. I, I kind of already had a bad attitude about it going in. But, you know, as soon as. Sorry, how yeah. many movies are four, right? Uh, no, there's like 12 Hellraiser oh, wow. movies, but yeah, they're all bad. Yeah, this is a totally different spin on it. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad I was texting Joe Rendonzo yesterday because I was having a hard time getting my head around it. And he goes, no, it has nothing to do with the other movies or the other stories. It's a totally just a brand new. I mean, I love the Cenobites. Everybody's bit. Well, there's not enough Cenobite action in the beginning for me. But I actually, when I gave it a chance, I love it. I see either... I mean, it's getting good reviews. I mean, I would tell everybody to watch it if you get a chance because I loved it. I thought it was great. And I think I, it's it coming. Looks like, 
looks like they're going to do another one the way they ended this. I'm assuming, I think, maybe. But but isn't it a, t it's a TV series, isn't it? Uh, I don't think it's a TV series. I think it's just the movie. Oh, okay. I thought it was a TV series of Hellraiser. Uh, I don't I could, believe I could be it wrong. is. Okay. I believe it's just the movie. But okay. uh, <clears throat> it was pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of people on Instagram said they loved it. Yeah, it's just it's just the movie. But uh, it was different. I mean, they kind of remained true. I mean, you have the, you know, I'm not going to tell you how anything ends, but I mean, that last 40 minutes, it's like, if you're a sadist, you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to love it. I know. So obviously Keith's smiling. Keith is a sadist, though. He'll probably like mm. it. But what else? I finished watching <laughs> yesterday. Um, Rings of Power. And I can't believe they're going to have the... Uh, Season finale next week. It's just like I was really starting to get into it. We just got from the Southlands. Now we know why the land of Mordor is called the land of Mordor. And it's like crap, you know. Now I'm going to have to wait a year. Just like with the boys, I got to wait a whole year for that. That's one thing I can't stand about some of these series. You've got to wait a whole year. I might be dead by next year, you know. And then um, House <laughs> of Dragon. Oh my God, this was like the incest is best episode that they had last Sunday. I can hardly wait to see what we're going to have this Sunday. I mean, holy cow. There's just no way I'd let anybody under a certain age watch it, even though I love it. I think it's great, you know, but it's, it's I still think Game of Thrones so far is still just a smidge better, but I won't say that in a forum because they will eviscerate you in a forum if you just say one thing they don't agree with about House of the Dragon. <laughs> Those people are serious. It's worse than politics. Oh my God. You know, if you think about getting into politics, just go in and drop a bomb on a Game of Thrones forum. If you can survive that, you could be a politician. But other than that, I think I watched <laughs> Salem's Lot for Grins the other day ago. It's like the whole thing. And I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I forgot how much I really loved the first Salem's Lot and all that cheesy, campy Stephen King you know, move, mm. movies and stuff that came out back in the day, because you just can't beat them. They're a lot of fun. Mm. But we were going to do motorcycle stuff today, but Asher's sick, so we're going to stick close to the house and start mm. thinking of Halloween things. Other than that, pretty uneventful mm. world. What about you, Keith? <laughs> um, I sold a script to Dark House Anthology, which All they're right. turning into a was they're turning into a computer game, which will be out in 2027. Just signed a contract on that. Good deal. So that's quite good. Dark House, it's, it's quite a good, no, sorry, Dark Pictures Anthology is the name of the Dark Pictures Anthology? Game. They're a computer um, game thing. It's um, what they do is it's a computer game, but it's like playing a movie. You make a decision in how it's done. Um, and, um, and basically there's 97 different endings that you can have. So it's not you fighting things. Basically it's watching a movie. Um, they've had some oh, good Oh yeah. People. How weird. I actually saw something about them on Instagram this week. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. They just bought mine. Um, Sean Ashmore's in the first game. Um, Lynn Shea and Robert Englund's in the second game. Ashley Tisdale's in, in the third game. The, um, mm -hmm. Will Powters in the fourth game. Um, and my game's going to be starring Zach Afron. No way. Oh, yeah. oh my God. So, how cool. Yeah. But it's out in 2027 or 2028. I'm, um, they're just the, the, the last installment for season one is coming out next month. They come out yearly. 
So I guess I'm in season, t- the end of season two. And it, it's called Hulk Couture, Ready to Wear, about wearing bodysuits. No so shit. made out of human bodies. So Interactive uh, but, movies, kind of, sort of, right? Is that what it's Yeah, it's an like? interactive movie. Yeah, there could be, there could be, like, there's, they're becoming quite good, and because of the computer graphics, it's like watching a movie. Everything moves. The artificial intelligence is amazing now too. Yeah. I was watching something. I thought it was really creepy. I wouldn't want to do this with anybody I love that's passed away because it would probably send me into crazy. But that you can actually, there's this lady who lost her her daughter, and they put the artificial intelligence with her daughter's videos and her daughter's pictures, and you put on the you know the artificial was it the whatever Asher, what is that thing called over there yeah VR. and uh virtual reality and you could have a conversation with your loved one i don't know if i could do that without being really upset it would just depend it would probably freak me out a little bit hmm. but i guess it, it it's kind of cool i won't deny that it's not kind of cool hmm. but they have some really cool shit coming out they do well, this, these these ones are quite good. I mean, they sent me they sent me their back catalog, so I was playing through those. And what's quite good about them is is that you you can get people around. So if you have up to four or five people, you can all play different characters, and you and you're all and so you can all make decisions on the character that they give you. So you can take. What is it like? Playing. The adults version of Clue. Um, it's a bit better than that because to be honest, is like um your character will die and they won't come back. Right. right. You know, and um, I mean. You know, the first one was about on a ghost ship. I enjoyed that one. Another one's um landing in this town um that basically was witch trials. So it's a bit like playing Twilight Zone episode. That sounds so cool. I would that's yeah. something I would definitely try because I'm not much of a gamer. I get killed. I just it's just no point letting grandma play. It's not happening. I but suck. This is a- I admit it. No, this one is not about this is not about winning or losing. It's just about how. That's what, what I'm saying. It's something make, so. even I can do. <laughs> yeah, and um, this is a script that I wrote with Eric um, Ansel before he died. Um, so oh, yeah, okay. so we sold it. So half of the half of what I well half they're going to pay us together, and so half right. of the, half of it will go to his family and to uh, into the process. So you, so, you, you will be millionaire. Um, at the moment, there, my agent is talking about my percentage at the moment. What? So I, I'm making a flat fee, and then I'll get a percentage of the net of sales. Well, more or less, in five years' time, you will be doing the all together the podcast in, let's say, Bel Air in my own mansion. <laughs> He's gonna move me in, and we're gonna be happy forever and ever. Don't forget us, little people, and stuck it out with your bullshit for the last five or six years. And let's see what else I've been on. I've been working on a short story with Ahmed at the moment. So that's we're developing great. that at the moment. So that's going okay. Um, we'll more news on that at a later state. And um, watching stuff for the podcast. I just finished the Jeffrey Dahmer tapes, which is really good on Netflix. I highly recommend yeah, it. Is it. Good. And I'm finishing up on the John Wayne Gacy interviews. So I'm getting into my serial killers. Yeah, with, John know. Wayne Gacy's great, except that one makes you want to shower after you watch it. There's just something something about him is disgusting. He's just a disgusting, vile. Well, he, 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 has, he has no remorse for anything that he does. And he thinks that and he was ugly and vile. I'm sorry, he just was. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's just he kinda, kept people he, under his floor, okay? Can you imagine living next door and smelling that 
and you know something's wrong and everybody's saying oh, no, no bullshit. No, they, they they didn't smell that badly because he lied them and then he covered them up in concrete. So that would have so it would have no, been they worse. Were under he, sand. <laughs> yeah, they, they were under sand. All of them. No, but the neighbors the smell, were after him. The smell wasn't smell. as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment. That was worse. Well, who the hell does something like that in an apartment? If you're gonna, if I was going to be a serial killer, I have a huge field out back. It's a lot easier to get rid of somebody than it would be to boil them down in my apartment. <laughs> Just like, come on. Yeah, true. Oh, and then I had the flu last week and I worked through it. So that was quite hell in its own thing. And then I did a couple of 48 hour shifts. So that was remember fun. when you weren't supposed to come to work sick? <laughs> I guess that's all changed now. Huh? Well, we have, we have no doctors. We have no nurses. We have no staff. They don't so hear anymore. Everyone, everyone's, everyone's walking out of the NHS left, right and center. So it's not fun at the moment, but it I is. What it is. Speaking of things that are what, what are what they are, was well, cut to whatever happened to Cousin Charlotte by Henry Farrell, which was published in 1964. It is a follow up to whatever happened to Baby Jane, meaning a follow up meaning that this is, has the same writer. Um, Henry Farrell wrote a short story that he was going to have published in an omnibus of his short stories, but due to Hollywood calling because success of whatever happened to Baby Jane, Henry Farrell instead of publishing the story sold it to Hollywood, which they made the movie Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. So what we're going to do is cut to the synopsis of Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte and be right back. This is the synopsis for Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte by Henry Farrell. In 1927, young Southern belle Charlotte Hollis and her married lover, John Mayhew, planned to elope during a party at the Hollis family Antebola Mansion in Asterson, Paris, Louisiana. Charlotte's father, Sam, confronts John over the affair and intimidates him with the news that John's wife, Jewel, visited the day before and revealed the affair. John pretends to Charlotte he can no longer love her and that they must part. Shortly after, John is ambushed and decapitated in the summer house by the assailant with a cleaver. Charlotte returns to the house in a bloodstained dress, which all of the guests witness. 37 years later, Charlotte, a spinster, having inherited the estate after her father died, is tended to by her loyal housekeeper, Velma. In the intervening years, John's death has remained an unsolved murderer, though it is commonly held that Charlotte was responsible. Despite notice from the Louisiana Highway Commission that she has been evicted from the property to make way for an impending construction of a new interstate, Charlotte is defiant and threatens the demolition crew with a rifle. Seeking help in her fight against the Highway Commission, Charlotte summons Miriam, a poor cousin who lived with the family as a girl, but has since moved to New York City and became wealthy. Miriam returns and soon renews her relationship with Drew Bayless, a local doctor who jilted her. Charlotte's sanity soon deteriorates following Miriam's arrival. 
her nights haunted by mysterious harpsichord playing the song John wrote for her, and the appearance of his disembodied hand and head, suspecting that Marion and Drew are after Charlotte's money. Velma seeks help for Mr. Willis, an insurance investigator from England, who is still fascinated by the case, and who has visited Mayhew's ailing widow, Jewel. She gave him an envelope only to be opened after her death. Marion fires Velma, who later returns to discover Charlotte has been drugged. Velma plans to expose Miriam's exploitation of Charlotte, but Miriam kills Velma with a chair and she falls down the stairs. Drew covers up the murder by declaring it an accident. One night, a drug Charlotte runs downstairs in the grip of hallucination, believing that John has returned to her. After Miriam tricks the intoxicated Charlotte into shooting Drew with a gun loaded with blanks, the two dispose of his body in a swamp. Charlotte returns to the house and witnesses the revived Drew walking downstairs after he returned, reducing her to insanity. Believing she has shattered Charlotte's mental state, Miriam celebrates with Drew in the garden where they discuss the plan to have Charlotte committed to a psychiatric hospital and absorb her fortune. Charlotte overhears the entire conversation from the balcony, including Miriam's admission that she had witnessed Jewel kill John, and has been using the knowledge to blackmail Jewel throughout the years. Charlotte kills Miriam and Drew, pushing a large stone flower pot off the stair balcony. The next day, the authorities escort Charlotte from her home as a crowd gathers around to observe the spectacle. Charlotte receives an envelope from Mr. Willis, which he received from Jewel, who died of a stroke after hearing of the incident which occurred the previous night. The note confirms to Charlotte the details of what she had heard from the conversation between Miriam and Drew the other evening. As the authorities leave with Charlotte, she looks back at the house. And that is the synopsis for Whatever Happened to Cousin Charlotte by Henry Farrell. Now back to the show. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Literally, the podcast. We're discussing whatever happened to Cousin Charlotte by Henry Farrell. So, Craig, what's your thoughts of the short story? Whatever happened to Cousin Charlotte? I mean, I mean, I thought I read it when I read um, whatever happened yeah. to Baby Jane. So I read it at the same time. Oh, that's right. It was um, the same book. Yeah, it was. It flowed well. I preferred it to whatever happened to Baby Jane. But I think it's because it was a shorter piece. Yeah, I was going to say it was shorter. Um, <laughs> it was an easy read, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and I, pre- I mean, I preferred the movie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I'll come into that later. Yeah, later, yeah. Um, and then what, what did you think, David? Yeah, you know, it's like I say, it's a good little short story. It's interesting, it was at the back of the... Yeah. The lady, uh, I was going to say Lady Jane, Baby Jane, <laughs> but um, I think um, I preferred the movie actually. But there you go, you know. Henry. Well, Farrell, the movie. Yeah. Didn't you think yeah. that the movie and the and the um, story really weren't totally that far apart? I mean, they didn't take a lot of artistic license for the movie. It kind of reminded me of our no, Silence of the Lambs and the movie Silence of the Lambs, where it's just almost like word for word. And you know every word, every word's kind of being filmed on the movie sort of thing. So there was, 
which for me, there was a bit of yeah. a problem with that because I would kind of would like a bit more insightfulness with inside the characters themselves, learning more bit. about what's making them think and what were they thinking and stuff like this. So we kind of get yeah, more of this like the surface story than a more in-depth story. Like, like when you read when we read Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, then we watched the film. It's kind of like the book kind of gave you a lot more about what's going on, the background story of the characters, a little bit more than the film does. And in this, we kind of, it's all kind of just surfaced. It's almost, it's almost like Henry Farrell's like writing it and then Hollywood came calling and go, we want to do a follow-up. Can we buy this? Oh, sure. You can buy this. Okay. Well, I'll just give it to you as is. I haven't finished editing or anything. Well, isn't this like the onslaught of, well, I mean, this, when was the book written again? 64, like 60, um, 63, and the movie was then out in 64. Okay, because I know it was started like 1927 when, when the move, the book had, you know, where a lot of stuff happened. I was trying to think, because this is the onset of the, what they call it, the hag horror, I guess they call it. Yeah. I mean, was the novels, you know, coming out like this? I don't know. I'm not sure, but hag horror was a big deal back then. Still is now, kind mm. of. Well, Henry Fell, I mean, he's an interesting character anyway. He wrote a lot of kind of Hollywood, um, Southern Gothic kind of books anyway. So he was and there I, for the Hollywood thing now. So that's what he was after was selling a screenplay basically, right? Well, no, he wasn't. No, he, he, he just wrote books. He wrote for like Fantastic Features, Imagination Magazine, Twilight Zone Magazines. Um, he, he won the Edgar Award for um, Mystery Writers of America. He wrote Whatever Happened, What's the Matter with Aunt Helen, Molly Dodd, he wrote. I mean, and so, I mean, he was a, he was a, you know, he basically was a writer by trade. Then Hollywood came knocking on his door. He didn't come knocking on Hollywood's door. Right. But you know, but he did a lot of short stories, but, you know, but he did, you know, but, but some of his short stories have been turned into like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and they, they adapted his stories for like Perry Mason and um, The House That Would Not Die is based on him, his stories and The Eyes of Charles Sands. So it's more of him, he was a writer that Hollywood came knocking on his door. It wasn't the other way around. He was hoping to become a script writer because he doesn't write the scripts for any of these movies. Um, a guy named Lucas Heller writes the scripts right. for all his movies. So they're the ones who did the adoption, adaption. Right. But I think it's because when it came to Cousin Charlotte, basically what he was writing, he was writing his next thing. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with, this is what Hollywood wanted. Right. But they went, they came to him after this, after the success of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which his book skyrocketed in sales at that time as well. That because that was a best-selling book before it became a movie. So when they decided to put Betty Davis and Joan Crawford together again for the next feature because <laughs> of success, they asked the writer of the original book if he had anything that would suit. And he goes, I just written a short story. Do you want it? Right. And that's whatever happened to Cousin Charlotte. It's a so. shame that Joan Crawford didn't. Not that we're gonna not talk about that, but I just I would like to have seen what it would have been like. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And what about yourself, Leandro? What are your thoughts of the short story? Um, well, first, <laughs> first I was trying to find the, the book and I try, I try, I try, and then I ended realizing that I have the book because I bought it and that the story was inside of the, the other right. in, in the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, at the beginning, when I started to read, I couldn't understand the first two pages, more or less, what was going on. Then I carry on reading and then I, I got it. I really enjoy it because it's a really short story. Um, yeah, well, after reading the other one, it's 
I don't know, it's like a kind of like change the names, but the story is more or less similar. Uh, for They're kind of similar. Well, for example, no, people with big houses, they're, they're, they're somehow they're famous. Well, one was like an actress, but this one was famous around in the neighborhood. And um, now I was thinking that, like, for example, in the two, two stories, uh, there's someone that um, has to leave the house. Like, for example, in the other one, one of the sisters was going to sell the house. In this one, she must leave the house. And like a kind of like leaving that house the, uh, leads to be, I don't know, free, let's say, in a yeah. way. Um, I would not want to leave an antebellum plantation home <laughs> if it was all paid for and it was that beautiful. I would be sick. I mean, I mean, I'm just, if I had the money for the upkeep and everything of it, I wouldn't want to leave it. I mean, why? It's away from the big cities and everything else. I just, I have no urge to live next to a big city. It just seemed like, a, you know, the way they described it would have been beautiful. Yeah. Then when well, this, it didn't sorry. happen to me the, when, I, when I read the book, then when I watched the movie, you know, I said, ah, oh, yes. When they describe the house, I imagine the house like that. I imagine a big like house, like a mansion, but not the way that they did in the movie. With the um, pillars, all the pillars up. Yes. We've got houses like that down here in Texas. They got the big pillars, you know, beautiful. And I know that it could be like a, maybe like a spoiler for the future, but it was inevitable to me to not to remember to kill a mockingbird when she was in the house. And right. To come to the house to throw stones or say, oh, yeah. Yes. There's where the, a mad person lives on the land. And people used to uh, find like a funny things to do to go near the house and try to see what was behind the like who was living there and not to enter or 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 check or throw things and uh, yeah don't I, you remember uh, being little and there was always some scary house i know that i grew up yes, yeah yeah that, that, that you wanted to go and you would go explore yeah, and yeah. go fuck with those people you probably shouldn't have but you did because you were young and stupid <laughs> you know but i mean it's just natural curiosity for kids yeah um yeah i enjoyed the story i, I like it it was like easy to understand um i really like the end uh, I think it was really clever, like, um, and I really, I could see my, in my mind at the end when she's like, she was reading like that letter and then she was turning around and like, smiling, like kind of saying, okay, I leave all this crap behind me. And She but... had a moment of clarity at the end, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed this, this story. But nevertheless, I, I don't think it's like, oh, wow, a great story, like original. Right. I don't know, it's probably because it's the same author, probably because we read the other one and it's like, I can't find yeah, similarities. Similar. But at the same time, I understand that for sometimes when something is a success, they try not to change much because they know what people like. So... Kind of surprised Aldrich didn't really change too much, but you know, from his adaptation of the movie, and either one really, I mean, kind of stuck to the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I guess the only problem I really have with the short story for me, the short story is more of an interesting piece in itself, only because I'm when we get discussed in the movie, I love the movie. Right. Like one, the movie's one of my favorites. But it was like more of an interesting companion piece. But the only thing I didn't like about it is you kind of know everything there. There's no surprises because no. 
You know, you kind of know where Miriam's coming from. You know everything that's going on. So you don't have any surprises happening. So you're kind of watching it. And, you're, and then and I found that a bit odd that there wasn't, you know, you don't have the great big, you know, climatic at the end where it's just like, right. Ta-da, this is this is what's really going on that we have in the movie. But didn't Miriam go away? She made money in the book, didn't she? She went away. She was poor. She made, she, she made her money by um, blackmailing Jewel. That's right. She wrote all those notes and stuff too. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's because. But the thing is, you you can kind yeah. While you're reading the short story, you're knowing this. You're, you're there. He tells you that at the very beginning, sort of thing. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. So there was no surprises that yeah. you do get in the movie. The movie has a little bit more. No, there really wasn't a lot of surprises in the novel, was there? The book. Just kind of straightforward. Just thought, to me, it was a bit too straightforward. I could have done with a few surprises, I guess. A little like a jump scare. Not, a, you know, as far as reading a book and the jump scare, but <gasps> kind of, you know, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense, you know. But no, I would have liked more to get into Charlotte's head as well. Think of what's, what is Charlotte thinking or what's Velma thinking or what's Miriam thinking? Right. You know, we, instead of just knowing what their motivations are, and that's what the short story, so the short story was just about their motivation. It wasn't about what's going on behind their motivations or what right. they were thinking or how they were feeling. It was kind of sterile yeah, in that in that format for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good. That wouldn't have thought of that adjective. But sterile is a good one. Mm. So I didn't hate it. No, I liked it. It's, it's an interesting companion piece to a great film. So it's it's more of an interesting piece. I mean, if I had to go buy whatever happened to Char- Cousin Charlotte as its own little book, I would not. But right. it's a nice addition to the book, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So you kind of get that little extra bit in there, especially when we get into the film, there's a reasoning for behind that. Right. So it's so it's an interesting little companion piece to the movie, but it's not one I'm gonna will rewrite or anything like that. And in right. a way, if it was based on the short story itself, um, I'm kind of slightly disappointed in the short story. I think I probably would prefer it as being a novel and having a well-written altogether well, a couple interesting hundred novel. pages. Yeah, but it's yeah. just it's just ma- it's just a matter of fact novel. It's just a matter of fact stories. Like, it, well, it you know, felt this, like I was reading a screenplay, is what I thought I was reading without all the treatment. You know, yeah, kind of. Sort it's just of. a matter of fact. Like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, this happens at the end. And that's what it felt like. It's just like <laughs> do 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 do. It's like okay. It's a bit too straightforward for my liking, but I have said there to say I do think it was better written than whatever happened to Baby Jane, though. You think? What happened to Baby Jane? Well, whatever happened to Baby Jane, as far as the way it's written, Henry Farrell is very, very liberal with his um, d- descriptive writing. Right. So after a while, you're kind of like, okay, well, okay, now we got a lot of description. We know a lot about the house. We know a lot about the setting. We know a lot about everything, but we're not knowing a lot about what's going on between, you know jane and her and her sister sort of thing so 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 as far as that it's like you know so it's almost like okay well this one whatever happened to baby jane was overwritten and then whatever happened to cousins charlotte's underwritten so i'd be interested to read some other of his books and see how what they're like and see what see what whether he improved or unimproved or he just stayed the same because he's you know he's he's a best-selling author at this point now so does he change his style or does he still continue to grow or does he do Stephen King and just come out with the same crap year after year after year five times right. a year <laughs> so, I don't know was yeah. I, 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 I can't even say the book was kind of campy you know it wasn't really I think that they there's only one person 
agree with that game. I, I think what happens is that I think the reason why I get people think that the book might be campy is because they're thinking they think the movie is campy, so therefore they think the film is campy. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anything with Betty, anything with Betty Davis is always considered campy for some reason, which I kind of well because towards with. the end of her career, let's face it, she was doing Night Gallery and just you know she was making the rounds on TV. I mean, I kind of still find it kind of sad. I know not to get away from the novel, but it just it just seems sad that that's what happens. It seems like these are the kind of books that become movies where actresses go to die. You know. Well, I mean, um, Hag, these Hag movies were coming very big. I mean, Shelley Winters and Debbie Reynolds did one with whatever happened to Aunt Helen. They got Straight um, Jacket. Straight Jacket. Olivia de Havilland doing Lady in a Cage. Please. Oh, that's Debbie right. Jack. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> I forgot about that um, one. And then you had The Nanny. That Then Bet- Betty Davis comes to England and does two English films for Hammer. One being The Nanny and the other one being The Anniversary. Um, and so, I but the thing is, this. the sad thing about this is that once an actress hit 40, that was all they're good for yeah. at, this, at this period in time. I still always that, think, I still get a kick out of Joan Crawford trying to put those falsies in. Because when you think about it, when you're laying down on the ground, I don't care how great your tits are, they're going to go sideways. So you got to make them puppies stand up somehow, you know, <laughs> therefore you got the bullet bra. <laughs> I still got to buy me one of them. So I think what we'll, I think what we'll do is why don't we rate the short story really quickly and on a scale of five, what do you rate it? Starting with you, David. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, the only person who really nailed the short story for me was like Edgar Allan Poe, as I said earlier. He just he just seemed to sort of combine everything at once. The whole. You think it was kind of poetic. No, he's no, saying just, that the no, only no, no. He's, he's saying the only person <laughs> yeah. that mastered the short story was Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. Edgar Allan. Yeah, I think, um, but the thing is, you know, the, with the short story, we've only got a certain amount of time and a certain amount of space, you know, a head space, if you want, to uh, to put across the idea. So I think to, to try and get it get it in that sort of short amount of time, like it, it's a real art form, you know. Um, but, you know, it was okay, yeah, it was good. It was written well, you know. It's a and, two uh, and three quarter hour read. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think. What's what's the actual, what's the word count for a short story? Is it something like two thousand five hundred or? I can't I'm remember. We'd have to ask Keith that one. And um, short, yeah, it's about that. Um, because anything over four thousand becomes a novella, and anything over that becomes a yeah. novel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. But it was good. How many stars good. would you give it out of five? Okay, four then. Four, Keith. Yeah. Hmm. And what about yourself, Craig? Um, I'm not. I've got. I'm not keen on Henry <laughs> Farrell's book. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, it was okay for a short story. There's nothing 
you know. It wasn't out. Um, there wasn't nothing that was outstanding where it was cataclysmic and rocked your world, basically. Yeah, no, like yeah. I'm reading Gone Girl at the moment, and I can't put the book down. It's that. Which book is that? Thing. That's a. The no one that we're doing Gone next Girl. month, Gone Girl. But, I haven't heard of it. I can't compare because it's completely different, you know. So I shouldn't really. It's not fair yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it. Right. I couldn't gel with it, but I'll, I'll give it a three. Three, yeah. three chopped off hands <laughs> out of five. Three chopped up, three heads. <laughs> three heads. What about yourself, Leandro? What do you, what do you score it? Uh, four, four. Yeah. Four heads. I wasn't saying five, but then they would say, so four. No, no, it's objective. <laughs> So five. <laughs> okay. So yourself, to read, this is understand <laughs> to the to the point. Not nothing going around. <laughs> yes. I like what the starcraft. It was it was okay. I actually cheated a little bit and got an audio book. I've never had one, and this one was free. So I I thought I'd give it a whirl. Actually, it's kind of cool. You go to the gym and listen to your story. You know, you can drive my radio. My car don't work. My car is old. So, I mean, I was listening I to it there. I might get more audio books. I really enjoyed this one because, I mean, it, it's I like it hands-free reading. Revival of audio. Mm -hmm. What are you saying there <laughs> over there, Dave? I'm just saying it should be a revival of audio books. I want to try yeah. an audio book. I'm really tired. I've never tried yeah. an audio book. This is my first one. How is this like one, one voice reading it or just like if it is a dialogue appear different voice? Well, the guy that was, um, the guy that was doing it was, you know, was doing all of the uh, elaboration on, on uh, you know, like how you would think Betty Davis would have done the part. It was kind of funny, actually, the narration, but it was the first time I ever uh, did an audio book and it was kind of, kind of fun. It really was. I when we cover when we cover Dracula, I found the book a bit difficult. Dracula quite difficult to read. Well, it's because the way it. it's written, the back and forth, but, the diary part. So, yeah. but, but I did I did the audio the um, audio book for Dracula, and that's it. There to say because it's done as letters and transcripts from medical yeah. journals right. and all that sort of stuff that each of the parts were played by a different actor so mia mina had her when she mina was reading her letters that was one actress and lucy's writing her letters that was another actress yeah. um i think anthony hopkins does the voice of the the doctor in it so it was really interesting so it's like you're like listening to these people read their letters to you so it worked very very well on that mm -hmm. aspect so i and i really got i actually enjoyed the book dracula and actually enjoyed it more probably because of that than when i was yeah. trying to struggle through it yeah, I think I might good sometimes I just don't I just don't have that. I can't do my brain properly there working on not, not firing all cylinders. But it was kind of nice not to have to sit there and get eye strain just for once. So but I enjoyed it. I might I actually do audiobooks. You know, when we're kids, like you know, when I was in school anyway, the teacher would say, Right, we've got like a 45 minutes, I'll I'll read a story, you know. And we'd all just mm -hmm. be engrossed this this great story. And if he was a good narrator, and our, my English teacher was, you know, you were lost. You know, you were gone. Yeah. It was great. Well, and told, told I remember, like, I remember my mom used to buy me those books. You know, came with a little record. It came with the, the book. little it's record, like, yeah, the book. Yeah. And when Tink and when Tinker Bell rings her little bell like this, ring, turn the page. <laughs> it's like we had, like, we had the old record down. players, the old record players that flipped up, you know, and you just. Did your 45. I've had my daughter bought me one, a brand new record. I gotta, I gotta hook it up still. I'm still so mad. I gotta hook that thing up. But um, yeah, I I didn't think it was that bad. 
Yeah. I mean, not so four what, stars. I mean, I it was kind of dry a little bit. That's all I can say. But it was kind of a happy ending. So, you know, I liked seeing that she actually got away after they made her batshit crazy through the whole book. So it was a happy ending for me. The bad guy got it. I'm going to give it um, three and a half, I think. Um, for me, is um, for me, it's an interesting, an interesting piece of literature. Um, so you say five. And I'm going to say three and a half. Three and a half. Three and um, a half. But I kind of want, I, I think I would want more meat on its bones and stuff like this. And yeah, it was a little dry. I, I, do, I do think that short stories can be a bit difficult. Uh, you know, I agree with David that Edgar Allan Poe was one of the great short story writers. He was. He definitely Another was. one of my favorite short story writers has to be um, um, Shirley Jackson. I think she's fantastic as well. Who wrote The Lottery? The lottery is like one of my all-time yeah. favorite short stories of all time. Um, so, yeah, I think if I think if it was more if it was more meatier and a bit more in depth, I probably would enjoy the short story. But for me, as a companion piece, it's a matter of interest. But I mean, it's it's not going to be one that I'm going to like. Oh, I'll reread this one day. Oh yeah, I'm not going to yeah. advertly seek it out again. But I'm glad I read it. Yeah. Well, that brings us to Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, which is a 1964 American psychological thriller film directed and produced by Robert Altrich and starring Betty Davis, Olivia de Havilland, Joseph Cotton, and Dora from Bewitched herself, Agnes Moorhead, and Mary Astor in her final film role. It follows a middle-aged Southern woman suspected in the unsolved murder of her lover from decades before, who's plagued by bizarre occurrences after summoning her cousin to help challenge the local government's impending demolition of her home. The screenplay was adapted by Henry Farrell and Lucas Heller, while Farrell's unpublished short story would have happened to Cousin Charlotte. Aldrich conceived the project as a follow-up to his surprise success with a sensational melodrama, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, also based on Farrell's novel and co-starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Originally, Davis and Crawford, who had experienced a turbulent working relationship on the set of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, were cast as Charlotte and Miriam respectfully, but Crawford ultimately dropped out of the production after shooting began. Principal photography was temporarily postponed until de Havilland was the cast in the role of Miriam. The film was a critical success that was nominated for seven Academy Awards. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and be right back. Charlotte. The winners of five prior Academy Awards and 21 Academy nominations now bring you suspense unequaled in the history of the screen. Shock that will leave you speechless. Charlotte. What have you done? Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Charlotte, don't you cry. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. I love you till I die. Yes, I told you. And I told your father, too. Why wouldn't I tell him that his pure, darling little girl was having a dirty little affair with a married man? 
You're a vast, sorry little trap. How was I to know it would end in murder? But it didn't end with murder, it just began. What was the warped and twisted thing that turned this house into a nightmare? Where do you think you're going? Oh, I'm going upstairs and I'm going to tell her what you've been up to. What's going on up there that you don't want me to see? Now, go. Co-starring Agnes Moorhead, Cecil Calloway. Don't you think I know what you're looking for in my house? But what does it matter if you haven't anything to conceal? Oh, but I have. I have things concealed. Vile things. Where do you suppose I keep them? Haven't you guessed? Guest star Victor Buono. You know what it's costing me not to kill you. Also starring Mary Astor. Let me tell you, Miriam Deering, that murder starts in the heart. Don't turn on the light. It, it, it's only real when it's dark. I won't turn on the light. Come along. Welcome back to Little Dragons Podcast. We're discussing Hush Hush Street Charlotte and starting with you, Leandro. What are your thoughts of the film Hush Hush Street Charlotte? Well, after reading the book, I was I, I found the movie and I thought two hours and a bit. Oh my god, <laughs> it's not a long story. Um, so then I started to watch it. Um, I enjoyed. I like how they uh, were explaining you like when she was like kind of like in her moments you know like thinking about the that uh boyfriend of the time uh i really enjoy i don't Bruce know Stern. the actress the actress that was the the cleaner the housekeeper oh, that's, that's agnes moorhead if you want if you ever watched the, the tv series bewitch with samantha the witch yeah and yeah, her, yeah. And her she was samantha's and, mommy she was samantha's mom and dora they didn't have her looking particularly beautiful. The red, the red hair, red hair, red haired mother Samantha. When she was coming up, she was sixty four when she did this role. By the way, wow! This is, and this is actually before Bewitched. No, I didn't know, but I really enjoyed that how how she was acting. Um, and yeah, I I enjoy the the story. I think I have to watch it in two parts because I think I fell asleep in one part and then I couldn't remember. So I have to I watch it all and then I, then went back and then watch that little part that I that I missed. Um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it, um, so far. I like the the house. I like the the part when it was like uh, the thunderstorm and you know the, all the doors were like. <laughs> it was like dark shadows, perpetual thunderstorm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love the end when when she throw that big uh, plant pot, and the other like, oh, yeah. they of, had it coming. They yeah. had it coming. Yeah, that that was. That's uh, don't you think that was such yeah. an out of out of out of character thing for Olivia to have to play because she's never played. 
that kind of antagonistic. No. She's always been the sweet Southern Belle or, you know, just yeah. where she's been Robin Hood's heroine, you know, Lady Fair. She never played the villain ever. This is her first villain role. And I think she hates, she hated doing it. The interview said she did not like doing the interviews or the, um, the, this role. She was very uncomfortable, but she did a fantastic job. I would have never known she hated the role. So yeah, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, yeah. It was really good. Yes. I mean, Olivia de Havilland came in because what happened is, is that, um, because of the Joan horrible happen the horrible happenings between Betty Davis and Joe Crawford, Joan Crawford actually filmed all the outdoor scenes. Yeah. So some of the outdoor scenes, like when you see the cab roll, that's Joan Crawford in the car. Right. But um, because of the um, Betty Davis wanted too much money, so they offered her a producing credit, which put her working hand in Over hand with the director. Joan Crawford. And so Joan Crawford was really excited about doing the film, but because of all the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes that she faked um, illness. An illness. And, and every time that Betty, did, um, she was the wife of the person who owned Pepsi Cola, but when he died, she still was her spokesperson. Right. So every time that Joan Crawford showed up on set, um, Betty Davis would have a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke in front of her and put and she replaced all the Pepsi machines. <laughs> she did Coke that machines. in the other the other one too, the other movie, because Joe Crawford brings in a Pepsi machine and then she finally sick of Joe Crawford's shit. So she gets a whole Coca-Cola machine and puts it right next to the Pepsi machine. Yeah. I think Beth Davis will be my friend. <laughs> they probably would have been friends if people left them alone. Seriously. Yeah. I think they respected each other. I do. Well, I mean, because of the shenanigans that were going on and she was filming her scenes, she ended up having, getting pneumonia because yeah. of the stress and everything like that. So she was hospitalized. Well, she and was then, milking uh, that though. Milking she, that. She was, she, was, she was milking it to a, a certain extent. But if you look at the, there's a good documentary on the Blu-ray of Hush Hush Street Charlotte and that she wasn't milking it as much as they are saying that she was. She was actually sick. And the doctor told her that it's best that she does not do that film. Because if she continues that film, it's going to have dire consequences of her. Because and the doctor, Pepsi. The, the do, well, it has more to do that. They were that she was actually being bullied on the set. She was being bullied on Whoa. the set by Betty Davis, like badly. We're talking to the point where like Betty Davis is calling her in the middle of the night and hanging up the phone, doing there was all a this lot stuff of to provoke shit her. Going on. You would expect um, a little more out of Betty Davis, though. But she wanted to be producer, and that was she did lord over Joan Crawford. I mean, most most. Uh, People that you fact check with, if you whatever you look back, document documentaries and stuff. She was kind of a bitch, you but know. You, but, but then again, but you have to backpedal on this as well because when whatever happened, Baby Jane was up for an Oscar, and Betty Davis was up for Best um, Actress for the Oscars, and this would have made Betty Davis the actress who's won the most Oscars if she. Yeah, she would have had her third, right? But third it would have been her. It would have been her fourth. Fourth Oscar, I thought it was her third for some reason. Fourth. She didn't get it for Baby Jane. No. So what basically what happened was is that Joan Crawford wasn't a nominated, and basically there's this feud going on between them anyway, and so Joan Crawford started calling her and her Lorella Parsons, who was a gossip columnist, were calling everyone yeah. and boosting up the other nomination so Betty Davis right. wouldn't win. And then Joan Crawford called, contacted so all the other, too. all the other nominees, all the other nominees, and asked if she could accept the nomination on the, 
that they won could she accept the award on their behalf right and of course Anne, Anne Bancroft at that time was on tour on a stage production she couldn't be at the Oscars so well, Joan, neither could the so, other one what was her name cute little thing from what movie um, Geraldine, Geraldine Fitzgerald yes and so what basically what movie was that that's uh, gonna bug me I can't remember. Um, Anne Bancroft was the miracle worker with Patty Right. Duke. Well, Anne Bancroft deserved that for the miracle worker. Mm -hmm. That was a fantastic film. It was so, But Anne Bancroft actually wins the Oscar and Joan Crawford's there to win it. So jo um, Betty Davis is backstage hoping that her name's going to be called. And basically Joan Crawford just comes out and goes, next time, dear, and accepts the Oscar. The rest of the nines with silver in her hair. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it was, it was to humiliate Betty Davis. She did. So these two were going at each other the whole time during the making of whatever happened to Baby Jane, and then it kind of continued and got worse at this point. So basically, what happened was is that um, Betty Davis's best friend is Olivia de Havilland. They're really close. And so Olivia decides to do it, but in order for Olivia de Havilland to do it, they did not have the budget in the wardrobe for Olivia de Havilland because all the clothes fit Joan Crawford. So all the clothes that you see in this movie are Olivia de Havilland's own clothes in this film. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. I totally forgot about that. Well, so, Joan Crawford had brought most of her wardrobe when she was going to do the role too. Yeah. And then Aldridge so, had to go beg Olivia de Havilland in Switzerland to come over here and do the movie. The really reason she only did it was because Betty Davis was her BFF at the time. Yeah. But even then, I still think there was a little whatever going on between the two of them when they were doing this movie. I mean, you can be BFFs in Hollywood all you want, but you know, there's just so much throat cutting going on behind the scenes. So well, you know. the thing about Olivia de Havilland is that she has she has a classic feud with her sister, which is Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine, yeah. They hate each other. These are two yeah. sisters. I don't even think the they household. made up. Did they ever make they up? No, they never made up. They hated each other until to the, both of their deaths. And um, Alfred Hitchcock used to work a lot with Joan Fontaine, and his he he always wanted to do a, a part with Joan Fontaine. Mm -hmm. It filmed Joan Fontaine doing something and having Olivia de Havilland walk into the scene just so he could capture the face of Joan Fontaine's face. That would when have he been Olivia de Havilland. Brilliant. But it never worked out. Utter brilliance. <laughs> but uh, but so so basically they're saying with Olivia de Havilland coming into this role, she kind of understood the whole feud thing anyway. And so she knew how to not react to Betty Davis because since her and Betty Davis are good friends anyway, she knew what Betty Davis is like. And not if, if you don't react to Betty Davis, Betty Davis won't get worse. She'll yeah. lay off you. <laughs> so Like a perfect bully. Oh, like if someone's bullying you and you ignore them, they'll stop bullying you after a while because they get bored to go to someone else. So. Right. I like the similarity between um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, where you thought that the the girl had run her over in the first film, and it wasn't. It was just it, it was like a hoax, not a hoax, but there was a twist. And then the same for Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, where she was they convinced her that she had committed the crime and yes. she was going to be incarcerated. Although I still feel sorry for her because. Even at the end of the film, they're clearly going to take her away and lock her up. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it, it can't have been a good outcome for her, I don't think. Yeah. It was a very, I mean, I don't know how it's she would have got out, got away with it. Yeah, really. it was already sort of sealed. Yeah, in a sense I really felt sorry for her. Yeah. 
Um, it's a, it's really, dark. and even yeah, it's a really dark ending, isn't it? Both of them are quite dark endings, but this is dark for ending. both for both movies. Well, yeah, but this one we kind of had kind of made you feel a little good because I, I often wonder was she supposed to have clarity at the end? Was she always that shit, or was it? Or was it finally she saw what was really going on, you know, especially and even though she killed the two of them, you know, she didn't get in trouble for it. So, yeah, well, I mean, if you look at if you look at Charlotte, the whole thing about Charlotte, Charlotte thought that Jewel Mayhew, who she was, I mean, Charlotte was sleeping with Jay, J, um, Jewel Mayhew's husband. Right. And then and then Charlotte's father goes, you know, you're going to have to break up with her. I don't care how you do it. You're going to break up to her. You're never going to see her. I don't want to hear anything viable about my daughter, Charlotte, again. And so he he says he breaks up with her. And then, of course, he, die, he gets killed, which I have to sit there and say, when I saw this film when I was a young boy, like about eight or nine, I remember like, this is my first time I've seen a hand get cut off in a movie. Or like, the head like, rolling down the stairs. That's the stairs. one thing that stuck out in my young brain was that head rolling down the stairs. Or the hand. Or the, I totally uh, forgot about the hand till I watched. Or the dead or or the dead corpse at the top of the stairs, all covered in mud, you know, sort of thing. But um, so they kind of like this movie kind of stuck sticks with me. But so basically, you know, so she so she's so she's being blackmailed this whole time. Thinking that it's Jewel Mayhew blackmailing her, and that, that every, and all, meanwhile the whole town thinks that she's murdered this guy, so the whole town's turned against her. The only person she has is her father. Her father dies, so she's alone in this house with the old, you know, the old housekeeper who's who's common as muck. I mean, you know, if they if things didn't turn out the way they did, Charlotte wouldn't wouldn't even be hanging out with Velma because Velma's poor. Right. I mean, she's the poor of the poor. Oh my God! If they do a montage of uh, of of uh, I'm having a wrong, but Bob, what's your name? Velma. Velma, but yes, what was her name? Agnes Moorhead. Agnes Moorhead. I wish they would do a montage of all of her scenes in this movie because I thought she was excellent. I just love how they had her looking sloppy and dirty. Her hair mm. was untapped because she really was a glamour girl back in the day. And the fact well, that she, she had she, no, she really did such, she mm. was an excellent character actress in this. She had no pride like everybody else and had to have the torpedo boobs. She knew what she had to do. She knew that she was going to play an unattractive she, person. Well, she she came up with that character herself. That's her, that's Fantastic. her design of that character. It wasn't by someone else. But the thing is, is that the only person that she has is Velma sort of thing. And so basically, you know, she's shunned from the whole community and everything like this. Meanwhile, she's being blackmailed through the whole thing, right. thinking that it's Jewel Mayhew. And, you know, they're saying you're the murderer, you're a killer. You got the whole town thinks she got away with murder because of her money and her father's connections. Right. And then and then basically at the end, when she finds out the truth and then, then of course, she does get the letter from Jewel admitting to killing her husband. That was Jewel the whole time that killed her husband and being blackmailed by Miriam the whole time to keep her silence. Well, Miriam but, was writing um, the shitty letters to Charlotte, though, keeping her those, thinking that yeah, Jewel but, was torturing her. But um, Jewel was paying Miriam because Miriam was blackmailing because Miriam knew the truth. So so when you get um, Charlotte leaving at the end of the day, the smile is that basically is, is that the world will know the truth and therefore I am vindicated in all this. So all that, all those 40 years yep. of guilt and horror and stuff like that, people are finally know the truth. And question basically is though, but you can turn this away that, you know, when they do find Miriam and um, Joseph Cotton or Dr. Drew dead, 
from the fall of the plantation, the flower pot. The question is, can they yeah. prove that Charlotte dropped it on them? Or they say the house was deteriorated anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It could have fallen by itself. So maybe she is being vindicated at the well, end. You got to give life. an honorable mention to Bruce Dern for losing his head and his hand. So, you know, everybody forgets about Bruce Dern. That was one of his first roles. Actually, did you? We, here's a little bit of tidbit information. You Have you all seen the, the TV series, The Waltons? Of course. Did you notice yeah. the two women that were gossiping about Charlotte at the very end, who they were? I vaguely got a picture in my head. It was it was Grandma Walton, Ellen Colby, and one of the Baldwin sisters. No shit. Uh, they're, they're, they're the two gossiping. Oh, did you hear what she did? Oh, like, I, I rushed straight over. What's that, about them? It. Oh, Just my them. God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I hate it when I don't know that stuff, because now I'm going to want to go back and check out that one scene. I'll just YouTube it. <laughs> Uh, and then we got Cecil Calloway and as the English as the English Henry Wallace as he was good to see he was in what um oh yeah every time uh, it's a one it's a wonderful life yeah I was gonna say every time was it uh, was it, the angel gets his wings the bell the bell rings or something is that yeah. every time yeah. an angel gets yeah. its wings a bell rings I feel like slapping that kid every time I hear that kid have no fucking happiness <laughs> on the holidays <laughs> Well, you got, I mean, uh, you got to remember there's also three actors that he did bring back from whatever happened to Baby Jane to be in this as well. Victor Buono's back playing um, Charlotte's father this time when he was the the big guy in the. In the oh, what's his name? One. Victor Buono. Bueno. Yeah, yeah. He played, he played. Oh, you know, I think he was, wasn't he in the old Batman series as King Tut? He was King Tut, yeah. Yeah, I was like, ah, he was King Tut. I know he was. It was driving me nuts. We've been doing all this Batman stuff lately. And I go, it was King Tut. I knew it was him. King Tut. <laughs> so but was it this was um uh Aster's last movie. She said she wanted to go out like this. So hmm. this was her last movie. I mean, the movie does star quite a few Academy Award winners as well, though, as well. So I mean you got Betty Davis well, is one in Academy Award, Olivia de Havilland, Bruce uh Bruce Dern, Agnes Moorhead won an Academy Award for the Magnificent Aberrons. Um, and then, of course, Joseph Cotton. George Kennedy, did he ever get one? Don't think he did, but this was like one of his first roles. He would become a major player in the 60s and 70s after this. So Then he'd be on F Troop. <laughs> yeah. Remember F Troop? Yeah, I loved back F in the day. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm. so yeah so i you know so, so but i find that like, i think charlotte's a more interesting film than whatever happened to baby jane for me i thought uh, did you think that they just wanted to keep well, betty davis looking as batshit as they could as a carryover from the other movie because let's face it i'm probably about as old now as she probably would have been you know in the movie and i'm not gonna have braid pigtails all the way down my head you know i mean are they trying to make her i, I mean i'm trying to understand where they were going with that you got to remember that betty davis's characters both in whatever happened to baby jane and then these are characters that she's come up for herself these weren't right. what this is not what hollywood wanted for this is like i'm doing this character and this is the way i'm going to well, do I knew this she character. did it for, for whatever happened to baby jane but i wasn't quite so sure about this one she did it here as well but the thing is that she's not but the thing is, she's not batshit crazy here. Well, she's a little. 
Damn. No, 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 not if you think about it. Because the thing is, she's on her own all the time. She's not right. crazy. She knows she's what's going on. Um, she's a recluse. I mean, if you, what did she do that was crazy when she wasn't being drugged by Miriam? Before Miriam shows up, That's she's true. fine. Well, she's she, open was, fire. she was a little, she was a little sketch, but she was okay. You're probably right about that. She probably, yeah. if she not had Miriam come, she probably would have been okay. I mean, but if you she think about never it, got all this stuff. There would have been no closure, like who actually killed her lover, you know, and and all that. I mean, so there was a lot of dynamics going on. But you know, but if you but if you look at the drama within Charlotte, anyway, I mean, the thing is, is like, okay, what does she do? Okay, she wakes up and basically there's bulldozers on a thingy, so she shoots them off her yard because the, to her, they're they're tearing down her house, they're tearing right. down everything she is. They're tearing, they're they're grinding, they're tearing down her father's cemetery where her mom's buried as well, and her dad. That's what apparently, they're bulldozing. Apparently, the there was no historical registry back then <laughs> because that would have been a big no-no. Well, I mean, and this is what's quite interesting as well. You have the old plantation days, and its heyday was basically ended in the twenties and thirties, where the movie yeah. opens up. By the time we get to sixty-four. 65 where this movie re reopens up again that is where modern technology are coming through and big highways are coming through and destroying all these houses and lands for, for you know to, to bring in the Hollywood, the u.s highway system and stuff like that you know which would eventually kill route 66 is dead because of this because of the interstate that killed route 66 yeah. so that route pretty 66 much doesn't even... is right down here i live right off of route 66 it's still an historical yeah. highway i take it all the way to dallas as long as i can i do not like getting on the i-30 if i don't have to i'll take 66 yeah. the whole way but it's kind of a dead highway when you do take it because there's a lot of patchy parts of route 66 when you're driving <laughs> they're not yeah, getting, they get pretty, there's some parts of 66 yeah. they're kind of sketch <laughs> yeah and and then and then and then you go through these towns that are dead because of the yeah. interstate highway as well yeah. which is interesting and you see all these old broke down like something you would see in the 30s like old gasoline places but you knew, you know, they're just antiques you, now. They are just vintage shops, is what they are. But yeah, yeah there's a lot of truth to that. Okay. So, you, so you have that going on. How modern technology takes away the old as well, and so it's like the lifeline. This is kind of like a Edward Hopper, you know. He would paint yeah. and great sort of like, you know, uh, gasoline stations and. Uh, Richard Etes, he did a, he used to do like a super, a super realism, you know, he would take a photograph of like a gas station and then he would paint it absolutely perfect, almost like a savant, you know, yeah. to get the actual feel. Beautiful, you know? Yeah. Do you think that uh, Olivia de Havilland was being kind of, a, I don't know if she was being kind of a shit when she said this though, but she did say that she never played an unsympathetic villain. And uh, she did it mostly because of Betty Davis, but she said, given the choice, I wouldn't have deprived Joan Crawford of the, of the honor. Is that a shot? Yeah. Or is that I should have just let her do the movie and just step back? Well, <laughs> Olivia de Havilland wasn't the first choice to read to um, Vivian Lee to, was on that the choice. Vivian list. Lee was, and when that when they asked to see Vivian Lee, she said that she'd rather face Joan Crawford in the morning than face Betty Davis every morning. I didn't hear that one when I was reading, yeah. but okay. Um, yeah, was she that awful to work with? Well, Betty Davis has Betty Davis is very a very strong woman and very and strong. And the thing is, but saying this, I mean, this will tell you. I mean, Bruce Dern tells a story that basically back in the day before the Hollywood system 
ended that every week during rap, they would they would shoot Monday through Friday and on weekends you would have it off. So on the Friday night or the Saturday, what they do is that each actor would have a party and invite all the cast and stuff around. So when it was Betty Davis's yeah. turn, she had everyone, she goes, whatever you do, show up at my house on Saturday at six o'clock and don't be late. So all the actors came there, Victor, Bruno, and all of them show up at six o'clock. And there's this old school bus there. She she tells them to all get on the school bus. And so she gets them all on the school bus and there's a bar there and stuff like that. And the bus takes off and they the bus goes driving for two and a half hours. They show up at this fancy old house where Betty Davis has all pecked out for with, you know, valets and waiters and stuff yeah. like this. And what she's paying for out of her own money. And they're all seated. And then what happens is that Betty Davis can remember everyone's insecurities. So she had it. She decides to play a game and she'd go up to someone's like, and she goes to Bruce Dern basically is like, oh, you know, you have a habit of sucking your thumb when you get nervous. So you need to suck your thumb for the next half hour. And then when she did, she goes, look, your insecurity is over with and you won't do it again. And she was right. But she did this to everyone around. And she also played this game herself with people. It was like, but she would always remember like little ticks that people had and would call them out on it. And that, but you know, that's this kind of person she was, but at the same time, she was loving and caring and giving at the same time, but she always would give a lot as well. So it's kind of this weird kind of, but it just sounds all, like, yeah. it just sounds like it was just took a lot of, out of you to be them because they were the beautiful sex, you know, symbols well, Betty, of their day. Well, the, the thing about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, that all started with, they both started out at the same time and they were up for a similar role. And um, and the movie producer said that I would sleep with Joan Crawford, but there's no way I would ever sleep with someone as ugly as Betty Davis. And that stuck with her. Yeah. But she wasn't because, really ugly, though. She was different, but she wasn't well, ugly. Joan Crawford, I think the difference is that Joan Crawford was a movie star and Betty Davis was an actress. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That's you know, a twisted level. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, yeah, that, and, that's, and that's the way it was thought where, you know, Betty Davis always wanted to have, to be like playing the attractive roles. And Joan Crawford always wanted to be considered a serious actress. So you have this thing going on and they're all, and they're going, and people were putting them up against each other for roles. Mildred Pierce, Betty Davis turned down. Joan Crawford got it. Joan right. Crawford wins the Oscar. Right. All about Eve. Joan Crawford was up for the role. Joan Crawford turns it down. Betty Davis plays it and wins an Oscar. Right. So this is going on in their career back and forth all the whole time. Mildred and Pierce was an excellent movie though. It really was. She did a now, fantastic job. In you know, but another interesting thing about Sweet Sweet Charlotte is, is that Charlotte is basically a role that is reminiscent of Betty Davis's first Oscar, which was for the film Jezebel. Right. Which is about the Southern Belle who decides that she's morally corrupt and the whole her whole community is turned against her because she decides to go to a great big ball wearing red for her coming out debutante party. <laughs> I know. can't imagine. Yes, I could imagine. But you know, social decorum, I guess, would not allow, I reckon. Things are different down here now. It's not the same in the South. But another thing you also have to remember is that in Hollywood at this time as well, is that 
if if you're a male, you can make bad movies and they'll keep using you yeah. over and over and over again. If you're female and once you get past 35, you're considered unemployable. Well, it's all about being beautiful, isn't it? And pretty to look at. You know, if you look at but so what so what you have is these people that you're like you could be you could have like the number one movie and all of a sudden it's like you hit 35 to 40 and there's all of a sudden the phone just stops ringing and you have to start fighting for roles so i think that if you're betty davis and joan crawford you have to keep this rough interior exterior about yourself and you have to remember that you know what do people say about women oh you know she could be doing like a fantastic oh but you know like in all about eve it's like oh betty davis is fantastic and all about eve it's a shame that her face does. It's a shame that her face is aging. And then if you read the critic stories of All About Eve, what she's excellent in, this is what they're saying: Your acting's fantastic. Shame that you're aging. Joan yeah. Crawford, the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, so beautiful, but now her, but now her face is starting to sag. Yeah. I mean, what does it have to say? You know what I mean? So you know, if if you're dealing with this kind of aesthetic, that's why all people the time, are. It's it's just all that kind of stuff just sparked all this 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 crap and these eating disorders and everything else i blame a lot of it on that bullshit but i mean and look at john wayne is still making movies to the day he died and he was never beautiful no he had some <laughs> kind of sex he had swagger is the way i would well yeah it. so I'm, I'm not saying anything against him as an actor no i know did, but i think you know, he's good like that yeah. but I'm just saying that you can look as old and scraggly as you want to. Look at yeah. Robert Redford. I mean, he looks like an albino raisin and he's Yes, still he does. Oh my God, <laughs> yes, he does. I didn't even think of it that way until you just said that. Yeah, yeah but I so, think you're right. I think like you said, that Davis was an like actor. You know, go ahead, I didn't hear you. Stage. Like it, she could have that presence to go on stage, you know, a live actor, you know. Uh, whereas like uh, jo Joan Crawford obviously had the, the glamour, but I think Bette, Bette Davis had the depth where she could go on and do like Lady Macbeth and really She was off. a method actress, wasn't she? She yeah. wasn't a method actress. So, yeah, she's, like, a, she's a well-trained actress, but from but they had two different bring, upbringings. Joan Crawford is from boarding school um, from the East. Right. Joan yeah. Crawford lost her virginity at the age of 10 to Twelve. her father, and she thought Twelve. that was an honor. 12 and she thought that was an honor um i think it was her stepfather stepfather and jo but joan crawford had to sleep her way to the top and and betty davis got their face on talent right yeah so, all of the robberies um, those women could have combined can you imagine if they would have just combined you know like wonder true powers activate you know but no they just kept them at each other's throats I would have loved to have seen, I love Olivia de Havilland, she's one of my favorite old-timey actresses, but I would have really have loved to see how this would have turned out had Joe Crawford finished. I would have loved well, to have seen the outcome. I think if they put their egos to the side, because they, I think they were a lot more similar than they thought they were. They were fighting, they're so kind too. of fighting the yeah. same battle. They were fighting but, the same Hydra, they were. I mean, another thing about Joan Crawford is, is that, um, you know, she, had, she in order to pay her bills and make sure that she's fed, she was making stag films before she became famous. Did she actually, because I've actually looked it up, I cannot find where there is actually any evidence, not that I care, that she did stag films. Now, stag films back then, what was it like? I mean, were they stag films, stag films? Or were they I don't know. I don't know. I know that uh, she's naked in them. Okay. There are, there are stills of her being naked and stuff like this that she tried to suppress that all came out after she died. They did find them, of course, when she well, died. Well, her brother was blackmailing her, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was blackmailing her, and she was keep she was paying for the whole family. Her mom didn't love her. Basically, they were whoring her out to make a living for the family. This is back during you know right after during the depression and all that. So, you know, um, Joan Crawford started out in silent films as well. So it tells you how long she's been around, sort of thing. And then, and then Betty Davis came from the stage school. She's part of that whole stage school. That we need movies are turning to sound, so we need actors that can who can act, who can talk. And Betty Davis is part of that. So it's just it's kind of sad though. I just think that they deliberately screwed with these two women the whole time. I think they even screwed with them in this movie because I think that they wanted that same hostility to you know surface somehow during the filming. Yeah. So I mean, I think people they would have just left them alone. Just left them alone. I mean, it's really cruel when you think about it. But to be honest, I think that it's kind of difficult as well, because even if they left them alone, I don't think that Joan Crawford would have in this part or in whatever had baby Jane got the, the plaudits that Betty Davis got because the Betty Davis character in whatever happened to baby Jane and in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is a more robust character where the Joan Crawford character in both films or Miriam in this film is kind of a they're kind of like they're so nice that you kind of forget about them even though that you need them to you need that character but they're less yeah, soft characters yeah. you know overly nice this passive aggressive niceness that's yeah. you know She's but like the, the flashy yeah the flashier part is the charlotte part isn't it that's the flashy part oh they were thinking about loretta young mm-hmm. even doing the part too mm-hmm. have you seen other movies with beth, beth davies apart from these two yeah, All About Eve, I highly recommend. Excellent film. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe's first, always Marilyn Monroe's like a, first like film. a crazy person or this no. something? No, she didn't. Dark Victory, she's a woman who falls in love and loses her eyesight. So she's not crazy in that. Her crazy films came in like from 60 onwards, after, after okay. 1964 onwards. But she's a, she, she's a multi-Oscar winning actress. Sort of and thing. how old was she when she did, yeah. made this movie? 60? No. No, she's only in her 50s. They weren't that old. But you know what? Have you noticed? Like, I saw these memes going around. I mean, I, I mean I'm, we're all like, I don't know, it's the 50s, if you get to the end or end of it, when does middle age stop? But I was reading where, you know, like uh, B. Arthur and everybody else that played in Golden Girls was my age when they were doing that. And I don't know if we just look different now, but I mean, I think they were coming off that too in the 60s because women look younger now for the most part. Call it Botox, call it this, call it that. Mm. I don't know. Plastic surgery. I guess they had plastic surgery back then. Women just look different now. And when I, I was mean, when I was re-watching the Golden Girls, um, and that, that's a show from the eight, late 80s, wasn't it? Middle, 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 yeah, middle, middle 80s to 90s. And the, in the first season yeah. of that, like episode three or four, um, Betty White's character is celebrating her birthday and she's freaking out because she thinks she's too old and she's going to be 52. I know. <laughs> I, was like, I know. <laughs> and I always thought they were like in their 60s or 70s, but they're only in their 50s. I mean, it just, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. everything's changed because people have longevity now. You have, you know, you have plastic surgery, you have medicines, yeah. you know, people don't die but, like But also, I don't know, if you think, um, I can't remember who said that. I think it was some an, an, act, an actress from Argentina that um, if you think, for example, in 
like in the 60s, 60s, 70s, a grandmother was, the, the, the clothes they were wearing made them look older? Yes. Like, yeah. for example. I, also, I you, think their faces look more mature as well. I mean, if you look at Ava Peron, she looked like she was in her 40s, but she was only 32 when she died. <laughs> Was she that young? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for example, look, I, I, I imagine when I'm thinking of my grandma, I've never saw my grandma wearing joggers or wear jeans, wear like <laughs> like more modern clothes. She was always wearing dresses, uh, uh, a jumper or, or um, a cardigan. Yeah. Things that make yeah. you look older, right? Yeah, these days, people like I don't know, there to wear I don't know trainers and, and jeans, even though they're fifty or sixty, and that <laughs> makes a person look different, you know. They still do that in department stores here. Yeah, I literally go to the extra large teeny bopper section because I do not want to wear all these ruffles all the way up to my neck. I am not dead yet. I do, I don't even want to see that shit on my body when I am dead. I mean, it just, they don't well, cater to women. They cater to young and beautiful. They don't cater to that. Now I think well, it's starting to catch on, but. Yeah, but I also think that we look younger because our life is less stressful as well. Probably. You know, we're not, you know, we're, and you know, let's face it. I mean, we got, you know, back, back in the day when you washed your face, it was with bar soap. That was it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Your father probably used it on his ass. You didn't have all this special soap. <laughs> you know, everybody has yeah. that special soap now. You know, everybody in the family <laughs> used that one bar of soap back in the seventies. I'm telling you. That one bar of soap. Went around the whole street <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. Don't drop the soap. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have special soap, soap like swab. You've got all these special body soaps now for everything else. You had one bar of soap and everybody was washing their backside with it. And you use I mean, that shit on your face called, too. Yeah, carbolic soap and a hard spoon <laughs> brush, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Well, true. Uh, you know, the the week the weekly bath of the whole family. I was <laughs> using the same bath water. <laughs> I, I kind of remember you, being kids and we all did that. Yeah, it was like soup when I got in the bath. You know, oh, God, I, was the last one I would not. No, I, my mother let me. I always got fresh water because I was the only girl. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I had to share. I had to share a bathtub with. Pam Spencer when I was younger. No way. <laughs> yeah, not. and the thing is, is Pam Spencer's not even a relative. She just she was, her sister was dating my uncle. So when I'd be at my grandmother's house, <laughs> we share a bath, oh. and we're still really good friends today. We went, we ended up being in the same classes when we got older. It's like, oh, right. we and we used to tell people. It's like I remember like being 15, 16, we'd be out, we we go out and get high. That's what you know what you do when you're fifteen and sixteen, living on a yeah. farm with nothing else so much to do. And we like, oh my god, remember we used to get a bath together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that ended with, that ended when we were 13. No, I'm kidding. No, it ended when we were about five or six. But <laughs> there's a lot of us when we were kids. Everybody took baths together and you were kids. Yeah, but you know, that's what yeah. you did back in the day. I mean, showers are kind of unheard of, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it was a shower. The only shower, you know, rainfall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, can you, can you imagine the rush to the supermarket when deodorant was invented? What? Well, 
Well, I mean, it's always been around. What was it? Remember Aaron extra? Remember the high karate ads where the lady would start slapping up the guy? <laughs> high karate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> high karate or, ads. Or brute by Fabergé. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But but you got to remember that deodorant wasn't a deodorant wasn't a, um invented until the mid fifties. Yeah, bloody hell! Before you just wore talc, you, you wore you wore talcum powder underneath yeah. your arms and help for the best. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine being, uh, read the histories of the old British queens and how they had oh my god cleaning their clothing like Elizabeth the first. I mean, God, man, that must have been nasty. That <laughs> just people—they didn't believe in hygiene. <laughs> well, another thing you know, is, is that if you were middle class or lower, and you basically had to have a suit, you had one suit that lasted you all week long. That yeah. one suit you're yeah. wearing every <laughs> single day, even sometimes even on weekends. Yeah, yeah two suits, Keith. You both. Birthday suit and that suit. That's a very precisely. <laughs> and that suit might have yeah. been fine during the winter, but can you imagine about what it what it smelled like after the after the summer? <laughs> yeah, during that's really true. Warm. No air, no air conditioning. <laughs> oh yeah, just think the about suit would be going out. out of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. But getting back to yeah, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, I mean um <laughs> I think it's <laughs> I think it's really interesting that basically, I mean, can you imagine living with a crime that you didn't commit and everyone thinks that you're guilty of it? And no matter what oh, you say, terrible. everyone just thinks that you murdered someone. Well, then you got the little kids coming by and screwing with her all the time, you know? That would, you know, if I was her, I would have just embraced that. When I get old, I am going to screw with everybody, especially the little kids, man. I'm going to scare the fuck out of them. But I Damn. think that I don't know. No one has mentioned this, but I don't know if maybe it was like everyone knew it or I don't know. But for me, it's like she was living with a crime that she didn't commit. But I think that there was something not right on her. Like a kind of like she had a mental problem per se. Well, right? She did kind of. And, well, and, no, and that clashed with with. Okay, she she was convinced she did it, but even though maybe she had I don't know like a. a like kind of like she uh, lost that that memory completely, but she was like still calling Papa, Papa, like she was out of five years old, and then that was like yeah. gone. Well, I think I what people, I mean, to be honest, um, I think some girls, when it comes to their father, tends to stick to the same name. Like if you call your dad, your father, Daddy. Um, my sisters called yeah. my father daddy until he died. They kind I of stuck to that. So no, but what I'm so what I'm saying is is that um when, after the crime is committed, she's she's pariah. That's it. Yeah. She's pariah. But at the same time, she's a bit reminiscent of um Charles Dickens's Mrs. Haversham from um Great Expectations, <laughs> where basically it's like, you know, she the guy leaves her at the altar and she's basically in her wedding dress and it's all decayed and there's rats and, and there's cobwebs everywhere. And she's just, she's waiting for that love that's never going to come back to her because it's been taken away from her. So, so she's, so she's also missing that finalization of the death of the relationship as well, going at the same time. So that's, so I think, you know, that's created a bit of havoc where she's just, and you do get people who tend to relive their past over and over, especially if they think their past is this magnificent, fantastic thing and everything here has just gone downhill since that. They tend to keep reliving their past in her mind all the time. The love that isn't there, John wrote her a song. So obviously it was a very, very 
I mean, there's a very hot and heavy relationship that was going on. They were going to run off together. He wrote her a song that has, she has in a, a music box that she plays over and over and over again. I so felt so bad for over. her, though, because did you knew that probably wasn't going to work. I mean, look at the time. It was 1927, was it? Well, they would have ran off, and they probably would have run off. Now, whether whether they could do that and live off not having daddy's money and not having Jules Mayhew's money, they would pretty much, how long that would have lasted in the reality. Right. Um, because, you know, she doesn't have any money of her own, it's her father's money. And I don't think that John Mayhew, the guy that she's having, the, the married man she's having an affair with, probably, it doesn't sound like he owns any of the money either. It seemed like that was the wife's money. So chances are, if, if, she, if he didn't get killed and they run off together, they probably would not have lasted that long. But when you're young and in love and you think that the whole world at your oyster and gets taken away too soon, you think, oh, we could have lasted forever and ever. Though the reality probably would have been something else. Yes. Sort of thing. Mm. Mm. You know, but I mean, I, I mean, you got to remember that, you know, the name of the town as well is named after Charlotte's name is Hollisville. Right, name right. of the town yeah. that they live in is Hollisville, named after Charlotte's. That's Charlotte's last name, Charlotte Hollis. So the the town is yes. named after her family. And then you think so she probably the queen of the ball. Everyone looks up to her. And then this happens and the whole town basically don't even I mean, she probably can't even go into town. She probably doesn't go into town. She probably hasn't been in town since then. She has to run to Europe, hoping that when she right. gets back, the town would. Let her but get they, on still, the they didn't like her over there either though they heard about the story i guess it apparently was sensationalized i'm assuming well it is i mean if you look at some murder i mean look at amy fisher storyline i mean that's yeah that's that's some little girl that you know um tries to shoot the wife of the guy that she's having an affair with and that went all over the world that story did you yeah. know yeah. you know these stories do and then you know and then you have to remember that you know these, you know, on the anniversary of this happening, they're being the stories being reprinted in papers and magazines as well, because that's what's happening in this story as well. It's, it's the anniversary, so they're reprinting the story. That's the reason why the photographer shows up to get a picture of her, you know, or you know, leaving the newspapers and the magazines of what's you know what they've written about her and how they think that she's guilty all the time and how she killed her lover and you know the trap that. The society trap that killed her lover. Remember if she killed him or not? That's the part I still don't understand. I mean, she if she didn't kill him, she didn't kill him. But you know, why why did she why didn't anybody try to find out who killed him? Because they mutilated him. She comes in with blood. She obviously saw something or found him. She found she would have found him. So basically, what would have happened if she came in? Um basically. May his wife comes in, chops off his head, chops off her hand, and then basically she walks in. She must she that Mayhew leaves. I don't know when she goes back to the party or what. We're not sure what happens there. But Charlotte comes in, and the reason why the blood's all over because what happens when you cut off a hand, a hand and a head? You bleed out. Body, no, bodies, your body splurts. It's fountains out of you. So basically yeah. the blood on her species from its founding on True. top of her. So it's like, yeah. But, uh, you know, we're just in 1920s. This is before fingerprinting and DNA and all the other stuff as well and all the conjecture. And another thing you have to remember is what's better? What makes a better story? 
Is it better that you you kill your jilted lover or that someone, you know, he breaks up with you and someone else kills him? What's, what's a more sensationalized story? What sells newspapers more? And what, and what, what? To be honest, for a moment, I thought, well, when I didn't know, you know, the, 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 the whole story, for a moment, I thought, well, maybe his, uh, her dad killed the man. Even she mm. thinks oh, about yeah. that, well, maybe because she doesn't know who did it. She yeah. thinks she did it, but not sure. So for a, for a second, I thought, well, maybe it was her dad. And then you find out, don't know. But... Well, another thing you got to mm. have to, what sells a great story? When someone's at the top of the world and they fall off that pedestal, what a great story that is. We all love that, don't we? Well, because everybody's got that <laughs> shitty, petty ge genetic code in them that just loves to watch people that do well go down the shitter, basically. Well, isn't that, isn't that how we all killed Anna Nicole Smith? Huh? Isn't that how we all killed Anna Nicole Smith? We built her up just to knock her back down? I loved Anna Nicole Smith. I felt bad for her. She, she yeah, grew up right not too far from here, actually. But that's what the, but that's what the media did. They paint right. her up as like you know gas and all this stuff, and then, you know, when her husband died, they just took her right down, turned her into a drug addict, alcoholic, and she killed herself. We all because of the press. Yeah. They the press built her up and they tore her back down. You know? Well, they just that 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 was yeah. horrible what they did to her though. That was just evil. He's evil. Yeah. The press is evil. I don't have much use for the press, but that's another podcast. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is that Velma is Charlotte's only friend. She's there to fight, fighting battle. I mean, they have this weird, they have this weird relationship. Really where, loyal to her too. Very loyal. But they tell, but I think it's because they tell each other the truth as well. Mm. You know, she, she's the only one that can calm, she's the only one that can calm Charlotte down. I thought for sure though, Agnes Moorhead was going to put up a bigger fight. Mm. Well, you know, the thing is, people, people who have big mouths and scream the loudest don't normally put up the most physical fights. Yeah, but she had truth on her <laughs> side, though. She was, she, she, she could have yeah. been, you know, I mean, I mean, they could have done different things with this. I could see different endings. I'm just weird being weird about this movie, I guess. Well, another thing is, is that I think Velma is like 20 or 30 years older than Charlotte is. Well, she's because, 64. Like, but, but I mean, Betty Davis, they, I don't know whether through it her own or whatever, makes herself look like the, she doesn't, she, no one looks that bad at that age anymore. Unless yeah, but, he, but, he, but put it, you know? put it, what does Miriam say when she first sees Velma? You're still alive? Yeah. That's what she says. You're still alive? <laughs> so I mean that Velma's a lot, might be like, like really old, but yeah, she's still there, so. So Velma might be more of like, instead of a bigger sister, she might be more of like a mother figure for Charlotte. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, so how, I mean, real. so so as far as Velma putting up a fight, I mean, maybe that's the reason, maybe she she could be the, like a really old lady thing, mm. you know, and then Mary, and Miriam, I mean, Miriam's healthy as hell. I mean, she's, I mean, she's healthy as a horse, isn't she? I mean, and then you got like this <laughs> a little old lady. She then, looks good. Olivia de Havilland <laughs> pulls off the bitchy part good though. I mean, considering she's never played a villain really, other than this, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I thought she was a villain in Gone with the Wind. I thought, I thought she, I thought she was, she was just so passive aggressive in that. Oh my god! <laughs> I was watching a little bit of Gone with the Wind the other day, go after I got my whole bit. Well, first I wanted to watch Gone with the Wind. It's one of my favorite movies, but before I was allowed to finish streaming it, 
I had to get a whole lesson on racism and how bad we are. But after that, they allowed me to watch it. And I just always thought Melanie Wilkes, I, I, the outtakes of her doing Melanie Wilkes is just funny as hell because uh, she cussed a lot, boy. Olivia de Havilland had a worse mouth than me, and that's really bad. So, I mean, it, it was <laughs> funny watching her screw up parts. I mean, but I mean, yeah, she, but I don't think, she, I just think it's funny. She's going, Scarlet, Scarlet, you know. Yeah, but, but, she, but she was passive aggressive. I mean, look at it. Like, she's on a passive aggressive. She doesn't oh, she, know how to be it. Passive aggressive is being, oh, well, I'm just going to piss oh, you off. Oh, come on. On her deathbed, when she goes to Scarlett O'Hara, oh, like being all baby. nice and making, and making her feel more guilty than she does already. I mean, she knows exactly what she's doing. So you think that she was being an asshole passive aggressive and she knew oh, the yeah. whole time? Yeah, I think she does. I think she's like always playing the victim card, being overly nice. Overly nice people are the most evil people in the world. I'm sorry. For me, Scarlett O'Hara, I prefer to Scarlett O'Hara because with Scarlett O'Hara, you knew exactly where you stood. Someone like her, you don't know who the hell she is. She's like, all oh, really nice, but you know, like once your back is turned, that knife is out and she's just stabbing you with it. <laughs> I loved her as Melody Wilkes. I can't imagine anybody else doing that part. And oh, no, have- but I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about Livy de Havilland. I'm talking about the character, Melody Wilkes. Oh, the I mean, character. Think- yeah, that's what I'm saying, but she yeah, did it she- excellent. I mean, she's just passive you might, you might be right horrible. because who is that freaking stupid? I mean, that someone's pining away for your husband and then you give, you know, you almost give the, she almost gives them, you know, permission to carry on behind her back. Then she goes, please of, take care of Ashley yeah. if I'm gone. Ashley was just a little pansy. I don't understand what any of these women saw in Ashley Wilkes. I'm oh my God. And he was ugly. Ashley Wilkes get to- was not attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and they get, and they get this right. Get this. They fight. They fight through the world war. You know, Tara's yeah. down to some fucking smithereens. There's not much left of it. Right. Scarlett's working her yeah. ass off. Where's Melanie? Yeah. She's in bed, lying in bed, moaning about. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know you're. It's like I'm so hungry, but I know you're doing your best. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. It's like, get off your ass and do something. (laughs) But she was recovering from having a baby. Oh, she was recovering through the whole movie. She she, she never had that bad. She's like like the person who has a baby and never comes back to work. She's like, when are they coming back? Oh, I don't know. They're on maternity leave for the rest of their life. True. Yeah. She was really passive aggressive, I guess. If you want to look at it, yeah. evil like. And, and what? And what does she say? What? And when she finally gets out of the bed, what does she say to Scarlet? I oh, she looks around back. the house. She looks around the house. She goes, "Oh, Scarlet, you did the best. You ha- you did the best of what you had to work with." That's what she says to Scarlet. Yeah. It's like what? Well, then that that bad Yankee comes in and she comes down with uh, the the saber. So she did try to drag the saber downstairs to kill the bad raping Yankee that came into the house. That's different. She wasn't saving anyone else. She was saving herself. So that's different. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... You know, it's like, you know, but she does say, but, but the thing is when she gets well, she comes down and meanwhile, Scarlet, and, I mean, Scarlet and Prissy and Butterfly McQueen are like trying to get the house so it's somewhat livable. And then she gets out yeah. and she walks down the stairs. She looks around and she goes, 
Scarlett, you said another wonderful job with what you had to work with. It's like, what? <laughs> That's not a, it's like a backhanded compliment. It's like, thank you for yeah. the food. Even thank you for the food that, that you rustled up for me. But yeah, I guess you did what you could. Although you have to say thank you for dragging me across Georgia while Sherman was burning down everything behind us. <laughs> Precisely. It's like, well, she, she should have said fucking left her there while Atlanta's burning. I would have left her there. I'm not that nice. Precisely. I, I would have left that fucking kid there too, because that just slows everything down. <laughs> Precisely, she could just she could just sizzled in her own um, boiling afterbirth. <laughs> uh, oh, poor yeah. Clark Gable, don't forget Clark Gable. He had to go steal that horse. Yeah. Actually, an interesting thing yeah. about Clark Gable is that um, he had really bad halitosis That's through his what whole I read. career. So every time you see him in a kissing scene, basically, apparently, he had like the worst breath in Hollywood. Poor Vivian Lee. Well, that's what's why set, that's why she faints at the end. What Doesn't set she? were they burning down behind that came with some? What set was that they burned down? They 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 burned down a set for Atlanta. That's gonna bug me now. They burned yeah. down a, a certain set for that made it Atlanta, but it belonged to another movie. But they used that to burn down. That's making me crazy. Uh, I don't know. I know that the person who directed Gone with the Wind also directed Wizard of Oz in the same year. Right. Well, no, actually, yeah, because they had the they had the midgets were all drunk and raising hell, kept going over to the set of Gone with the Wind. <laughs> they made a whole movie out of that. It's called <laughs> Under the Rainbow. It's an awesome movie. Get a chance to watch it. It's great. Yeah. The dwarf. You can see one of the dwarfs. So that's gonna himself, bug me. But... I've got to find out what yeah. set burning. Either that, or they used Gone with the Wind set. To, to burn what what was that scene mm, what's when that the lunch is burning okay they so. said they burned 20 different oh it was king kong that's what it was it was the set to king kong yeah uh, the set that's was right. from yeah the set was from 1933 king kong actually burned in the blaze yeah that's what they were doing i knew it was something important that was gonna yeah. make me nuts unless i can remember that burned down the old king kong sets so. Yeah, they're just burning down his <laughs> So um, uh, let's let's score Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and starting with you, Craig, how many stars do you give Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte? Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I preferred it to whatever happens to Baby Jane. So I'll give it six. I'll give it the five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it five. Um, Don't strain yourself, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was great, you know. Yeah, really good to know. Very it was worth the awards it got as well. Absolutely, you know. (laughs) I'm still thinking about Gone with the Wind. (laughs) (laughs) Gone with the Wind was excellent. I love Gone with the Wind. Well, get ready for it because that's gonna be a book to screen one day. (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, I've already got it done. I've got it all covered. What about yourself, David? How many stars do you give it? 
I think five because it was a great, just a great noir yeah. movie, you know. And I think Olivia was okay, you know. But I, now I'm starting to think, wouldn't it have been great to have Scarlett O'Hara? You know, sorry, Scarlett O'Hara. Uh, she would have been a little firebrand. I love that movie. Actors, I love her, but I've I think always loved her. Five, I think five big sort of uh, Bette Davises. Mm. Big, big, yeah, five, and I love that scene where she when she pushes that big uh plant pod. And yes, oh my god, it's like, can and, you imagine being in an audience watching that? And you know, they were up going, yeah. <laughs> but I really like it because. <laughs> That was that that was a clever kill because no one would get suspect on her because the house was coming down. So this was before seeing closed camera television too, so you don't even got that. I mean, my my yeah, favorite yeah. scene was um, where Miriam's like trying to keep her cool, and then she like loses it with Charlotte, and she goes, and her and her daughter to be having an illicit affair with a married man, and she goes, "You stupid foul <laughs> <vile> bitch." <laughs> <laughs> you that was great. And, and it was it was really cool when uh what's what's her name? Um the bad the, the bad she grabbed a chair and, and hit it to <laughs> Oh yeah. Actually, here's a bit here's a bit of trivia. Um the body going down the stairs is actually Agnes Moorhead doing her own stunt. Was it really? She was 64 when she did this though. She she I know she tumbled herself down the stairs because she believed in doing her own stunts. You know, I'm not 64, <laughs> but I would be saying, oh. "Oh hell no, going down the stairs, no way, man!" I, I, I would be, I would be in right. Yeah, yeah, she goes for a hip replacement. You know, I know. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you think she she went she went back to the the wall, then then out, and then in again. Mm. So when you go to the wall, you know that you're going to kind of like hold it. You know, you yeah, you're gonna slow. You're, it's gonna slow you down on your descent. Yeah. Well, yourself, Fix. How many stars do you give it? I have to give it five because I just love all the actresses in it. But I really would have liked to see some scenes with with Joan Crawford. I, I've got there's got to be scenes out there somewhere that they haven't gotten rid that's got to be floating around somewhere. Yeah. I I would love to. I would have loved now that you, I think David said something about Vivian Lee. She would have been awesome for the part too. There's so many of those those actresses from that day that could have done a good job and should be respected for that work, irregardless if it's hag horror or whatever, you know. Like poor Joan Crawford running down theaters with that axe, you know, trying to scare the audience. There isn't no jacket. lower low than for, for someone like that to have to do that shit. But you I know, mean, you but, gotta still respect uh, them. <laughs> my hat my hat goes off to Joan Crawford just for working with William Castle. William Castle was fantastic. Straight right. jacket, 13 goes, house on Haunted Hill. <coughs> I saw yeah, what you true, did. True, true. House on Haunted so, Hill is fantastic. Yeah, so I, I love William Castle. So the I'm old house on Haunted Hill, not the new one. Yeah, the Vincent Price one. So yeah. e even though even though it's not the best in filmmaking, I love those films. And yes. what's the other one that he did as well? The one where it goes into color. Tingler, the Tingler. That's yes. William Castle as well. Oh, with Vincent Price. I forgot.
forgot all about William Castle. I'm glad you brought him up. Give him yeah. some a look up. I love William Castle. So even though even though it's not the heyday of her Hollywood, I'm glad no. she did a William Castle film. Or the other one about the transsexual that kills people that we covered. Transsexual. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the um Angie Dickinson? No, no. We, um we did we did as a double feature with um Dress to Kill was the William Castle film. Black oh, and God. white. Black and white. Oh. Yeah, it's an old black and white William Castle film, and basically is that um, yep. she she is a guy, and then when she, um, no, she's a girl, but she's actually a guy. She's walking, posing as a girl yeah. and posing as a guy, but she's she's a, she's murdering when she's dressed as a woman, isn't she? Right. What was it called, uh, William? Castle? <laughs> oh my God, you got to find the title of that. That's gonna make me nuts. Y'all can't hang up till I find the title of this. I forgot. It's making because because we covered we covered it in our show as well already. I know we did. That's why I can't. You know how many books and movies we cover? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, I, I I have a copy of upstairs as well. Um, where we go? House of Haunted Hill, The Tingler. He did Thirteen Ghosts, Homicidal. That's Homicidal. Homicidal. Ugh. Okay, okay. Good. I love <laughs> Thirteen Ghosts. That's a fantastic Halloween movie too to watch. I mean, you probably can't get rid of homicidal any while. Otherwise, the alphabet people will get really upset nowadays. But it was a great, I love that film. <laughs> Only you get away with it. If I said the alphabet people, I'll be getting hateful email. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I get, I get hateful. I get hateful emails from the alphabet people, and I'm one of them. So, like, what can you do? <laughs> so. My star rating for Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte is going to be a solid five stars. Um, this film has stayed with me ever since I saw it as a boy. And it was on like one Sunday afternoon. And I remember, you know, I said before, the axe cutting off the hand. And I was just like, the head, oh, rolling the head, down the, the language. I remember, I think it was probably the first time I heard, oh, yeah, wow, bitch. My grandma was like, like, what bitch? You don't want to, you don't know that, you don't need to know that word. Um, but it's just, you never heard never, those words on TV not back now when we were kids. Yeah, I mean it's 1964, and I, and you know, and the, it has a lot going on in it, and the story's great, and I love the characters, and and the mystery, the mystery pays off at the end, and then and then when you find out the real reasons what's going on behind this, it has enough twists and turns that you don't expect it. I mean, I didn't know it was Mayhew. Spoiler: that was Mayhew that killed her husband. I didn't either. You know, and that that she's being blackmailed by Miriam, and I, you know, and Miriam's basically distorting. Um, Charlotte for all her money. Yes, that, there was a bunch of dynamics going on at the same time with this. And the whole thing about the townspeople coming in, and I love the English guy who comes in and it's like, love you know, him. Oh my god, he's such a great know, character actor too. And, and just be, and befriending her, and then you know, basically, it's like the stranger just comes out, and all of a sudden, she realizes that she's a human being that someone's treating her like a person, and not. And she like hadn't a, had that for so long. Yeah, you know, not a tourist attraction of the town, sort of thing. I would have so, charged that shit. I would have. Yeah. I would have just totally exploited the shit out of that. But then again, you know, people don't have a seedy, jaded mind like me. <laughs> yeah. So Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte to me is like the perfect film, and I, I mean, I, I do, I drag, I do drag this film out like once a year. I bought the Blu-ray, and when I watched the Blu-ray, I watched the movie, then I watched all the 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 making of and the tree the chase trailers, and I listened to the commentary. So, but yeah, and I love, I'm a Robert Aldrich fan anyway. He did. He also, I love his movies. I do. The film after this that he would do would be the groundbreaking box wall, box office success called The Dirty Dozen. That's what he did. Yes. Oh my God. He, yes, he did do The Dirty Dozen, didn't he? 
Yeah. Wow, that's right. He really did pretty good those last few years. Yeah. And he also, no, and he also another Halloween's coming up. I've got to watch some Roger Corman. You know, now yeah. Halloween's yeah. coming up. Roger Corman. <laughs> Y'all got to watch like Hellraiser. And I quite like these. I like these Hague horror films. I mean, I love Lady in the Cage with Olivia de Havilland or Die, Die, Darling with uh, yeah. Stephanie Stephanie Powers and Tallulah Bankhead or whatever happened to Aunt oh, Helen God. with Tallulah Bankhead. Billy. I forgot about her. Or whatever <laughs> happened to Aunt Helen with Geraldine Page and Ruth Gordon. That's fantastic as well. You know, or and the, uh, uh, and the I other one. I could do this one, all day. I love old movies. I could just talk. Yeah, or the or the other yeah. one with um, Shirley. Um, Shelley Winters and um, Debbie Reynolds is another excellent film as well. Whatever happened to sets and such. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I'll give this a solid five star. And I, and I, and I actually rate this far, far superior than whatever happened to baby Jane. And I think this film gets slightly ignored because of that, for some reason. I don't think, I don't think it got snubbed at all. It did win awards. Actress Moorhead won a Golden Globe. I mean. Yeah, but looking back on it, not a lot of people have seen Hush Hush Street Charlotte, but almost everyone's seen at least whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, true. True, true. So, you know, and, I, and to me, it should be the other way around sort of thing, so. Well, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, our American Goes Dark will be covering Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn and the 2017 David Fincher Oscar-winning film Gone Girl starring Ben Affleck and the, the English actress who won Best Actress. Can't remember her name now. Totally escaped me. <laughs> the English actress. The English actress. <laughs> um, um, so we'll be doing Gone Girl. Of course, next week we'll be doing Batman the Animated Series. We'll be covering four episodes, which will include POV, Underdwellers, and Pretty Poison. And of course, Doctor Who will be continuing Doctor Who. We'll be going to their second storyline, which will be the Daleks Part 1, which will include the first four episodes of the Daleks from Doctor Who. And of course, we'll be doing our Make Remake. We'll be covering The Mummy from 1932, starring Boris Karloff, and the 1999 film starring Brendan Fraser. And of course, we'll be carrying our mummy three mummy theme through to our MM or Monsters and Mad Men. We'll be covering the French film La Vuc à la Dessure, and we'll be covering the film Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy from 1954. <laughs> so until that time, it's good night for myself. Good night, Leandro. Good night, everyone. Good night, David. Good night, everyone. Good night, Craig. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, Vix. <laughs> Good night, everybody. All I can see is Craig's eye over in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week with Batman the Animated Series. And we'll be seeing you next month for America Goes Dark with Gone Girl by Jillian Lewis and Gone Girl, the film of 2017 by David